So was there was there a, a first time that something related to a drug or psychedelic crossed your mind? The first time something like that um, crossed my mind. Ah, uh, let's see. Like uh, I, I'm gonna have to ask you to unpack that a little bit if you don't mind. Like, what do you, like, the first time, I mean, the first time I heard of any kind of psychedelic or anything was when I was, you know, in elementary school, and they they had, you know, a a cop come in and talk to the class and just say drugs are bad, so, you know. Yeah, that that happened to me, too. They had something here called the D.A.R.E. program, where the cop would come in and hold that board with all the drugs stuck to it, and you'd have to touch them and smell them. Yeah, yeah, we had we had dare as well. I don't remember if that's who came and talked. And it was every you know few years. I think every couple of grades they had somebody come in and say something. But but I I imagine that's not what you're referring to uh, when you asked when I when did this uh, idea first cross my mind? Um, uh, let's see. Well, there was always the interest in kind of witchy things and what have you and. Um, then later in life, you just kind of start studying them a little bit, and maybe you um, try taking a psychedelic here and there, and um, it just kind of all falls together, you know, over time. Like, it's not a, I don't know that I've ever had, I've had too many things that have been like, you know, the, these aha moments where suddenly everything made sense. I take a, like a, a couple of knocks to the head before I learn anything. Yeah, absolutely. I like I was saying, uh, very similar with me. A uh, drug guy came in, and I I went online and I was looking at stuff about pot and LSD, and I saw this stuff that said that it wasn't so bad, and that's how I kind of got an inkling that maybe it wasn't so bad. Yeah, I mean, my thing was just that you know you have friends that do it and you know they they come back just fine and they're still honor roll students you know and they're still and you're like oh okay i guess they were just full of shit about that you know kind of like with cannabis when you first smoke weed you know and you know you don't surprisingly go on a murderous rampage <laughs> and you know you start to think all right well what else were they full of shit about and and you know uh, psychedelics uh, especially mushrooms at least for me are, are one of the ones that are have been so kind of misrepresented uh, I'm, i work with a group called peers out here i'm in portland uh Pierce is the Portland Entheogenic Exploration and Research Society, and uh, pretty much our whole mission is uh, that, you know, we've had a century of bad information about psychedelics, so let's put some good information out there now. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that's kind of what I hope to accomplish here today, or, or maybe at least partially. I, I do a lot of shows about UFOs and hauntings and things like that, so it's good to talk about something different. Cool, excellent, yeah. Now, the whole thing about you is that what's particularly interesting is, is you're connecting the world of psychedelics to the occult world, which is major with me because I do a show about stuff like that. Was there a moment when, like like the thing with the psychedelics, that you uh, something related to occult things or witches or magic caught your eye? Uh, yeah, when I was, uh, in my undergraduate years, I was researching, um, my, my thesis, which was, uh, kind of a biography on Timothy Leary and, um, a kind of a critical look at some of the things that he did. And, um, 
during that time, a friend of mine had a book uh, by Richard Rudgley called The Alchemy of Culture. It's uh, recently been re-released uh, under the title Essential Substances, I believe. And uh, anyway, um, in, in that book, uh, Rudgley uh, kind of gives a brief over you know, overview of what this thing called a witch's ointment or a flying ointment was. And I thought the idea was just really cool, you know, and he had the, the picture of the, the mandrake that was part human. And it was just, I just, it, it, it spoke to me on a deeper level. Um, I don't know how else to put it other than that. It just really like, there was something about it that, that just clicked because we don't, we don't hear a lot about the psychedelic traditions in the West. I mean, when, when you walk into a, uh, like a head shop, they'll have little statues of Buddha and they'll have posters of Shiva and like dream catchers and, you know, all that stuff is great. I'm not knocking any of it, but, you know, they, they won't have a lot of the more Western psychedelic motifs. Like, you know, we have, Pretty much recently adopted the uh, the Amanita, excuse me the Amanita muscaria mushroom as one of the symbols of Western psychedelia um, in in recent years and um, like even my room is decorated with all these Amanita muscarias and uh, um, yeah I, don't, I totally just kind of lost my train of thought sorry uh, no that's that's totally interesting the Amanitas like you said it seems there's a big uh, almost like a movement behind them now, if you could say that. But, you know, there's a few people that are very into it. But I tried it once years ago, and, and they just did not work for me at all. It just tasted like I was eating rubber. Yeah, that's, um, it's weird because I've heard that, you know, I, I, I've heard of the similar stories um, as, like, what your experience was like. And I've also heard other people say that they've eaten Amanita and really had, a you know, an entheogenic experience of it. So I, I've also heard stories of people eating it, and they just kind of, they felt a little buzzed and then got nauseous, or they got nauseous and then felt a little buzzed. And it's it seems just more symbolic of uh, the Western uh, tradition, though. Like, I don't think that Amanita's, or even the uh, you know the second or third most used uh, entheogen in in um, current Western popular culture, uh, or at least growing popular culture. I don't I don't believe that they are, but um, uh, but they are symbolic of the actual you know uh, of psychedelia. Um, Do they pretty much grow everywhere? Mm, the Amanitas, no. I mean, different mushrooms grow in different places. You know, you have the Cubenzies that grow, or the Liberty Caps that, that grow on, you know, the cow shit. You have the Azorescents that grow in the grass, uh, you know, when you're by the beach. Um, you have uh, the Amanitas, which grow in kind of like those piney woodland areas. Uh, uh, so, you know, it, it, it's different kind of you know, environments get different kinds of mushrooms. Uh, the 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 diff uh, one of the things though about the amanita uh, that differentiates it from the psilocybin is that um, the amanita, as, as you you seem to have experienced yourself, can you know there's no telling how much uh, I think it's muscimol is is the name of uh, the the uh, the active uh, psychoactive in there, um, and uh, that varies so much. Whereas something like psilocybin cubenzies, I mean, it, it's pretty standard across the board, you know, how much psilocybin is in there. Is there anything in particular about psilocybin mushrooms that kind of uh, puts them at the head of the pack as far as you go? Um, 
I mean, for me, I just really like them. Um, I mean, the effect of it, I have all different kinds of witchy things that I do around uh, the uh, ingestion of the mushroom. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's just, it, it's you, you try a lot of different things, and um, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, just uh, I just have a really good working relationship, <laughs> let's say, with them. Uh, they just really work for me in a way that things like LSD just, you know, didn't, and you know, LSD's fine, but um, I'll always just be a big fan of uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Do you feel that they're fairly safe? Um, you know, the problem with saying that is I would hate to encourage somebody to go out and do something irresponsible with them. Uh, so I would say that if done under certain circumstances, um, it, they're relatively safe, like um, those circumstances being, you know, being in a safe place, or as they say, a dose set and setting. So dose, don't take too much. Uh, set, have a good mindset. So like if your, you know, grandma just died and you lost your job, it's, you're probably not in a good headspace. Don't take a psychedelic, you know, if you're in that headspace. And uh, setting is just your environment, you know, be in a place where you feel safe and, um, you know, with good people and friends you trust. And, uh, yeah, then, it, then it's relatively safe. The problem is when people ignore dose set and setting and, and and use them irresponsibly, then, you know, you get into trouble with them. I mean, behind every, you know, hospital story and every horror story with mushrooms, there's always, behind, you know, this very irresponsible lead up <laughs> to what happens, you know, to what makes the headlines. There's always something really dumb that this person shouldn't have been doing that was, you know, a direct violation of either dose, set, setting, or all three or two of them, you know, at the same time. And that's just, you know, you're asking for disaster. How about cannabis? Uh, cannabis is, I mean, uh, cannabis is safe. <laughs> There's not, you know, you're not, if you, if, if somebody does something uh, harmful to themselves or someone else on cannabis, that is, uh, I, I mean, that person was probably going to do something harmful <laughs> to someone else or themselves anyway, because cannabis is, is, is very harmless and uh, very wonderful, and uh, more people should smoke it more often. How about combining the shrooms and the cannabis? Uh, it depends on the person, and it also depends on the time uh, when you do it. I've I've mixed both. And sometimes I've had a real rough run of it, and other times it was pretty fantastic. What about this witch's ointment? Do we know what went in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a lot of soporific substances, uh, things like opium, uh, mandrake, henbane, things like that, things that will kind of knock you out, you know, and just pretty much make you, uh, put you in a lucid dream state. Are these that things, means, since it's a, it's a Western tradition, are, are these things that I might find in my backyard or in the local woods? Oh, yeah. Henbane grows wild. Um, mandrake, you'd have a little bit more difficult time finding it wild around. Uh, I mean, I don't know where you are in the country. Where did you say, Oregon? I'm up here in Seattle. Oh, and see, that's right. Um I don't think mandrake is conducive to growing uh, around here 
Uh, I'm in Portland, so we're not too far from each other. Um, and uh, uh, henbane, yeah, that you'll find anywhere. Belladonna was another one that grows pretty wild. Um, that could be found in the witch's ointment. Very powerful, soporific as well. Um, but uh, things like mandrake and henbane, you could also you could get that online. I mean, it's they're not illegal. What happens when you take this stuff? Let's start with the mandrake. Does mandrake itself is it going to do anything to you? Yeah. Okay. So I I just recently made uh, a new magic potion that had a um I, I must have overdone it on the mandrake and henbane because I took it and I knocked myself out for about twelve hours. Oh damn. Yeah. Like I was just <laughs> like yeah out for twelve hours straight. It was ridiculous. Um. So. Yeah, Mandrake and Henbane are pretty, they could be pretty gnarly. The first time I inhaled them, which is my, my I either make them into potions or inhale them. Um, the first time I inhaled Mandrake and Henbane, um, I, I almost killed myself. Uh, instead, I went insane for like five or six hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, it'll, it, they're really, really, really powerful. And the difference between a low dose, a psychoactive dose, an entheogenic dose, and a deadly dose are very close. So you got to yeah. really get it perfect. Yeah, you do. I didn't get it very perfect that first <laughs> time. But now th- that's going back, that's around 2005, 2006, so that's going back over 10 years. And um, uh, so now I've been taking them, you know, pretty regularly since then, and I built up a tolerance to it. So now I can take that amount, and it it won't kill me or drive me nuts, but it'll definitely put me into an entheogenic trance. Now, was that the goal with the the, the witches of old? Were they were they just trying to go into a trance? Yeah, they were. They weren't really witches. They were more shamans, and uh, they they worshipped. Uh, this kind of archetypical great mother fertility goddess kind of uh, deity. Um, this goddess that went by so many different names uh, all over Western Europe. Uh, in Italy, she was called Epiphania in some places, Madame Oriente in other places, um, Ricella in other parts of, uh, of Italy. In Germany, she was Holda or Hera or uh, Perta. In France, she was Dominal Bondia. So, you know, she was she was widespread, this belief in this fertility goddess. And it seems that people would use these ointments to get, fall into an entheogenic state um, or an entheogenic trance where they would meet with this goddess who would teach them, you know, the virtues of herbs and how to heal their communities and how to prophesy and uh, the the secrets of stones and um, occult knowledge. So, I mean, we're really talking about shamanism here because it's, you know, I, I define shamanism as a person who puts himself in a trance in, into, you know, that, that realm beyond the veil to bring information back that helps their community. And that's exactly what these women were doing. So that, to me, is shamanism. So this is actually something that came from the old world and, and probably came over here along with the settlers? Um, it didn't, uh, not so much because by the time the settlers were coming over here, there wasn't much 
of a of a of a you know a, a witch persecution going on anymore. Uh, I mean, of course, we had the Salem witch trials, and there was another uh, you know witch scare in Connecticut. Uh, you know, so it did happen, but it wasn't. It would, had pretty much died down by that time. I mean, Salem was uh 1692 if i'm remembering correctly and i mean that's pretty late the the what's popularly called the burning times um in in you know in our culture kind of fizzled out by about 1650 so salem was almost half a century after you know the 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 the, the great conflagrations of europe oh okay um, so salem actually happened after the the real big witch burnings is what you're saying. Yeah, that's why you didn't. I mean, at Salem, 18 people were were hanged at Salem, and that, that's you know that that's 18 people too many. But the, you know, it wasn't like the large scale witch trials, you know, where you have you know 50 to 100 people being slaughtered. I mean, there was one town in Germany where every single woman was executed. Oh, wow. Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't have that here, you know, and, and again, except for Salem, which was relatively small in comparison, again, still a tragedy, of course, but relatively small compared to what went on in Europe and one that was uh, of, of, of uh, similar size in Connecticut. And that's pretty much it by and large for America, unless you're talking about the native population persecutions of witchcraft. Well, why you know, did but they, that's not a European thing. Why, why did they kill an entire town full of women? Uh, because they, they, you think one of them is a witch, and if you believe that witches all work you know, in groups, they, they don't work alone, um, then that means there must be others, and when you torture somebody into you know, telling you you know, like, if I were to, like, have you, Daniel, for example, and and I had you, uh, let's say, with a, a red-hot poker, you were chained up in a dungeon, and I had a red-hot poker that was sitting over a fire, burning hot, and I touched it to your face, and you screamed bloody murder in excruciating pain, and then I said to you, tell me who the other witches are, or I'm going to do the other cheek, you're just going to start name-dropping just to save yourself the pain. You know, that's one of the problems with torture, is that you can torture somebody into saying anything. And that's exactly what you get when you look at the witch trials. Was was it the Catholic Church that was behind this? Um, so it, it's, yes, but it's a little more complicated than that. Most of the witch trials began with one neighbor accusing another neighbor of witchcraft because, again, these are real practices and people really did feel that they were harmed through occult means. So most of the time, uh, in, in fact, in almost every case, you, you just you start off with a secular trial. It, it's one usually one woman taking another woman to court over some perceived harm. Now, when where the church gets involved is that they, if they came in during that, uh, during that trial and said, well, we'd like to speak to the accused and they started torturing her, uh, or him sometimes she would start name dropping and you get those larger trials. So where, where the church comes into play is they were responsible for the large scale witch trials that wiped out, you know, whole swaths of people. 
Whereas the secular trials, you know, if a person were found guilty, um, the, the punishments were not nearly as bad. Um, and it was also people, they had this thing called Italian in those days, where if you accuse someone of witchcraft and you lost the case, you had to suffer whatever punishment the person who was accused would have suffered. So, you know, there was also that in place to, to stop people from just kind of willy-nilly accusations. Were there witch hunters like you see in modern mythology? What do you mean by modern mythology? Oh, I mean like video games and stuff like that, books. Like people, their job is to go out and identify and hunt for witches. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, a, there's a great book, actually, called Witch Hunters by J.P. Maxwell Stewart uh, that I, I would recommend um, and your listeners, if they're interested in this topic, to kind of you know, pick it up. It's a short book, and um, he's over at, I think, uh, St. Andrew's College, a uh, really, really brilliant scholar, and he, he covers you know, kind of brief biographies of uh, different uh, witch hunters. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, 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 and and it's a it's a quick read and uh, it's engaging. Uh, he's a great writer. He's got a lot of uh, good stuff out there. Was this just a lot of bigotry, hatred, and xenophobia, or is it possible that some witches actually were were performing curses on people? Yes. Ooh. <laughs> it was all of that. It was all of that. I mean, you you have the bigotry, of course. I mean, you have, you know, some doctor, for example, is jealous because some, you know, wise woman, you know, can cure people just as well as he can or better for half the price. So he might accuse her of witchcraft, you know. Um, that certainly happened. Um, but you also did have a lot of people. I mean, there were, just like there are today, there are witches and magical practitioners that, you know, some are, are good and some use their magic for good and to heal and to help, and others do use it for evil. And, you know, in some cases, you know, people really were using, you know, magic to murder each other. And, you know, it's, you have to take everything on a case-by-case basis with this stuff. Yeah, before I before I got into this stuff, before I started doing this show, I, I never would have believed it in a million years, but my perspective has changed. I, I realize the reality of this stuff now. Yeah. Um, in fact, and this is an odd one, In um, there was a case, I forget it specifically, but I'm, I have it coming in my, uh, my forthcoming book, I'm discussing it, but there was a, a witch who actually asked if she could have the honor of igniting another witch because that other witch was her competitor. Oh, wow. The one, yeah, the one got arrested, and, um, I mean, we don't know what, what the circumstances were surrounding it, but apparently this other witch brought herself, you know, to the, um, to the authorities and said, you know, like, uh, you, you've sentenced this woman to die for witchcraft, and, um, I, you know, I would absolutely love to be the one to ignite her. <laughs> so, wow. you, know, you also get in, in 1438, um, uh, Peter Vallon, who was a male witch, was, was tried and sentenced uh, to be executed by a female judge, Eleanor of Grolia. Now, that was, a, that was a highly unusual circumstance, of course, but it, it does show just how messy and complicated the picture actually was. Could part of the problem, like in Salem, for example, 
could it be that somebody was accidentally dosed with some mandrake or something like that? You know, there's a there's a theory out there that um, ergot was used. Um, uh, ergot, uh, for for those of you listening that don't know, is the the base element of LSD. It's how we you know synthesize LSD is from ergot. And uh, there are some theories that that Salem was the result of ergot uh, poisoning. And uh, I looked into it for my book, and um, I didn't find any evidence of that. How might these drugs differ from something like LSD or mushrooms? Um, things like, you mean like mandrake or henbane or belladonna? Yeah. Uh, they differ in that uh, LSD and mushrooms, um, if you've ever taken them, you know that it's pretty impossible to sleep. <laughs> You're going to be awake for a while, whereas the uh, the solanaceous plants... Um, henbane, uh, belladonna, mandrake, uh, datora are soporific. So they knock you out and put you in this very clear and lucid dream state. So, uh, that's where you, you kind of, um, encounter the spirit world in the dream realm. Oh, wow. So you're actually putting yourself into the dream world. Yes. Would I possibly accidentally walk off a cliff or something like that while I'm in the dream world and I'm walking around? Oh, you're not going to be walking anywhere, my friend. You are going to be out cold. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're you're going to wake up in the same position you fell asleep in. Like, you're not going to move. Okay, so this is actually like a really intense lucid dream that you go into. Yes. Oh, wow, okay. That doesn't sound that dangerous, but I, I imagine it is considering you might get the doses yeah. wrong if you get stuck you die <laughs> so um i would say uh stick if you want to have an entheogenic experience stick to the safe illegal entheogens like mushrooms and lsd the stuff i use like honestly is very dangerous um i i have spent a little over a decade working with them and starting off very small and slowly building up uh, a tolerance to them. So, you know, I, I, I very much want to emphasize how much I caution your listeners uh, about, you know, experimenting with solanaceous plants. Oh, oh, yeah, everybody, this is not meant to encourage you to experiment. This is for information purposes only, and you should not be doing this stuff unless you are incredibly well-researched and are willing to basically be something of a test pilot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I would also recommend, if you are going to, having a friend there uh, ready to just call an ambulance if need be. What was the purpose of wanting to go into the dream world? Was there something in particular that uh, a witch or a shaman might be trying to accomplish? Uh, yeah, in, in the same way when in our modern day when, when we have entheogenic practices uh, where, you know, you're going into that other world to discover something about yourself, discover something about uh, the universe or your place in it, or discover you know, the deeper mysteries of life and to contemplate them when you're back on this side of the, the veil. Um, it, it seems people used them um, for a variety of reasons. I mean, people use these things recreationally as well. Uh, you know, that was also 
a, um, a, a common practice. Um, they use them in mercenary magic. I mean, they would, you know, drive somebody nuts, like dosing somebody. Uh, there's, I, I write about, you know, people who used to do that. They would, you know, if somebody was bothering you, you would secretly dose them with one of these really powerful drugs and, you know, it pretty much drive them crazy for a little bit, um, or sometimes it would kill them. Also known as slipping a Mickey. Yeah. It really was. I mean, it, that's, it's sorcery. It, it's, you're, you're trying to manipulate somebody's mind, you know, through the use of, uh, of a psychedelic. And that's something else that I don't think anybody should ever do. And, and that's not a, you know, a practice I, I would ever do or, or recommend. Yeah, it's good to have some ethics when you're dealing with such powerful substances. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, you have to. You have to have a strong ethical and moral uh, framework for all this stuff. Now, Big time. Now speaking of that, do you personally feel that a person should be at a particular age before they touch any of this stuff? Um, yes. Um, I think you should be at a reasonably mature age. Um, I think that a lot of it also, at least for me, has to do with how long you've been involved with some kind of magical or spiritual practice, because it's those are great ways to have kind of psychic containers for the experience. Like, um... I've done, I've, I've gone pretty deep, um, with, uh, with, uh, into the furthest reaches of my mind. And it's, it would have been very difficult to deal with on a day to day basis if I weren't already on this kind of path. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Like, I, so I've done things like, uh, for example, 5-MeO-DMT, which is the, uh, the, the toad medicine. And if I had to come back from that experience and go to a regular job and have a very regular life, I don't know how I would have been able to deal with that. Um, but because, you know, my, my life is about, um, you know, spreading uh, awareness um, and, and, you know, good information about psychedelics and entheogens, um, and also roller skating a lot and playing roller derby. Uh, I, I had a, I had a whole framework with which to put the, uh, the experience and I haven't had any problems with integration. And a lot of people do. Um, you know, a lot of people that live very regular lives, um, you know, will, will go and, you know, do an ayahuasca ceremony and they come back and, you know, they're, they're sitting in gridlock traffic the next day and they're, they go nuts because they don't know how to, you know, fully integrate that beatific experience they had under the spirit of ayahuasca with their day-to-day, you know, life. Do you suppose that might be why there are these myths about brain damage? Because maybe sometimes you come out of this experience just feeling a little confused and empty-headed? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it's difficult to say because that would be commenting on someone like, I don't know too many people that have come back and that are, you know, feeling confused. They're certainly not empty headed. Uh, most people feel like their brain has just been filled in a way it's never been filled before. 
Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. And earlier you mentioned toads. Could this be why witches are sometimes associated with toads? Uh, I think it has to do with the um, the uh, that that they excrete, which is a psychoactive. Um, it's also possible, at least uh, there's a, a scholar, an Italian scholar named Carlo Ginsberg, who thinks that they might be have an association with mushrooms. Um, I don't particularly uh, subscribe to that. Um, I mean, it's a viable theory, but I, I just I think it has more to do with there being, you know, something in a toad that was utilized for entheogenic purposes. Um, now the, the, and, and I'll, I'll say the, the hole in my theory, um, is that we don't know of any, um, toads like the Sonora Desert Toad is the one that has the, the 5-MeO medicine in it. We don't know of any toad in Europe that has that. We do know that there are to- poisonous toads all over Europe, so what it really comes down to is finding which one actually has some kind of psychoactive uh, property in them that that could be utilized, um, because there's a there's a case I write about um, you know, from the uh, the late 1300s in my book where uh, they say that um, this this group of heretics got together and drank a Eucharist uh, and one of the um, the ingredients in the Eucharist was uh, the uh, the excretions from a toad and um, it's clear from the description that this is some kind of powerful drug because one guy drank too much of it and almost died, but the other participants in this, you know, this gathering, this, this religious ceremony, uh, they drank, you know, a responsible amount of this, this toad Eucharist and they had visions, you know, so that to me reeks of some kind of psychoactive being used and some kind of psychoactive containing toad, you know, being known about by, you know, certain, you know, remote heretical groups. When you when you tried the bufotine, did, did you actually extract it from the the toad's warts? Um, I we have so I've done both synthetic and um, I uh, I have I'm not going to say uh, anything more than this, but I have access to a uh, a toad as well. Do you every witch does? Do you feel there might be a lot of species, frogs, insects, uh, plants that might be undiscovered. I, I always hear that the majority of our planet and the majority of animals are still undiscovered, or at least a lot of them are. Uh, do you think that there's probably still a lot of undiscovered animals and plants that contain psychoactive chemicals? Uh, absolutely, and not only that, I'm, I'm going to give you a modern example. So recently... <laughs> That just happened. We just discovered a new kind of um, uh, psychedelic in this form. Um, oh, I wish I could remember it um, for you to let your listeners know. But um, a, a friend of mine sent me this article about this psychoactive honey, apparently. Um, there's also, uh, I think there's a blowfish or something that's psychoactive that was recently discovered. So, I mean, we're discovering that kind of stuff all the time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are many more. Um, a lot of times, especially in the ancient texts, uh, when they talk about 
different substances, uh, like Pliny, for example, in his natural history, he talks about all these different, like, psychedelics, <laughs> and we have no idea what they are. I mean, because he, he has all these, you know, all these weird names for them, and, um, you know, uh, all common names for them that, that, uh, so we don't, we don't know, you know, what a lot of, uh, they were, these things were, and people could have totally, you know, uh, it, it could have been things like cannabis or it could have been something that people used to use, stopped using and is waiting to be discovered to be used again. Did the, did the witches or, or shamans, did they combine psychoactive chemicals with ceremonial ritual? Um, it seems as if they did, but we don't have any accounts from them. We only have accounts from theologians talking about them, and they say that they would use, you know, ritual chants and, and magical operations, um, and, you know, along with these entheogenic ointments, um, so I would say yes, they did, uh, but it's sadly we don't have an actual, you know, an account from anybody from that time. Yeah, because you hear about people like Aleister Crowley, he was doing all these different drugs, mescaline and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, it's... It, it, uh, our, unfortunately, our, our record um, for those medieval times is so fragmented, and so much of it is lost, and so much of it just has not come down, and so much of it that's come down has been corrupted, that it's just, it's very difficult to, you know, paint uh, a picture. Uh, it just seems to have been very chaotic in the in the way that, you know, magic and, and psychedelics in those days seem to have been like how people use cars today. Not everyone has a car today, but most people have cars today, and everybody uses their cars hundreds of different ways, even, you know, several different kinds of ways every single day. So magic was kind of like that. Now, it's my understanding that they also use poisons, too. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, mandrake, henbane, belladonna, datora, opium, those are all poisons. Okay, so basically it would become a poison if you do too much or, or if you give it to somebody that doesn't expect it. Yeah, it, it's weird because, so, poison, in like, when in, in the, the Latin texts, the word that they use is vene, which is V-E-N-E, -E, and uh, it, we get the word venom from vene. And vene can mean either poison, the way we think about poison, like something that kills you, or it can mean drug, being recreational, entheogenic, uh, used for magic or whatever. Um, so the context uh, matters a lot in in you know, the way these things are being used. So you'll have a, uh, you know, a, a clergyman talking about somebody using, you know, the same poisons in, you know, uh, this woman's worship, 
uh, in different recreational drugs that she'll sell to people and in the drugs that she'll sell to drive someone mad or to kill others. It wasn't, it wasn't the actual psychoactive that mattered. It was the magical operation that surrounded the, the psychoactive that actually mattered. Do you ever go to any of these psychedelic-inspired festivals such as Burning Man? I have never been to Burning Man because I've been involved in roller derby for uh, about 11 years now, about as long as I've been doing this, actually, now that I think about it. Um, and I'm always usually like on tour for roller derby around Burning Man times, but I've been to some smaller you know, little gatherings here and there. Um, in Lakesh Festival in Ashland was a lot of fun. Uh, there was also some other one I went to in upstate New York years ago. I don't actually remember the name of it, though. Um, it was like a, like a, a, oh, Burning Star. It was like a, a, a precursor to Burning Man. Um, and uh, I was living in New York at the time, so it was much easier to, you know, get there, and it was a lot less expensive. Now, roller derby, is that when they race and they kind of knock the crap out of each other? Um, that's the the general perception of it, but it, it's actually closer to a highly strategic game of chess on roller skates. What is the goal? To win. Okay. Do you, do you win by... <laughs> Do you win by points or by winning the race? I'm sorry, I don't know much about it. Oh yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm teasing. Uh, you you win by um, so in roller derby you have um, there are two positions. There are blockers and there are jammers. A jammer scores the points. Um, each jam, which is the time that the skaters are on the track, uh, that's what that is two minutes long. It's called a jam. During a jam, you'll have four blockers from each team, so eight altogether, and one jammer from each team, so two jammers altogether. The jammer that scores points by passing the blockers on the other team. What makes roller derby so fun and interesting is that you're, you're, if you're a blocker, you're playing offense and defense at the same time because you are simultaneously doing offense to the other blockers to help your jammer get past them while at the same time doing defense against the other team's jammer that's also doing offense against you, and it is just so much fun. Yeah, that sounds interesting. If I wanted to uh, check, check out some roller derby, what should I do? Maybe go on YouTube? Oh, dude, you have, in Seattle, you have one of the best women's teams and men's team. You have uh, the Rat City Roller Girls. You can look them up. And uh, you have the Puget Sound Derby Outcast. In fact, oh, Puget is playing, I think, this weekend in Portland against the Portland team. Oh, funny coincidence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's it's either this weekend or coming up or next weekend. I don't remember, but yeah. Well, I'm a big pro wrestling guy, so that that might that might kind of be my cup of tea. See some see some very intense action, dude. It, it's honestly, if you have the time to drive down to Portland for this bout, it, it's going to be phenomenal. Like these are just the top skaters. Like these guys are ridiculously good. 
Now to bridge back into the, the psychedelic stuff a little bit, I did want to ask you about one very important individual. His name is Jesus Christ. Is there any possibility that he could have been on some kind of psychedelic? Uh, it's totally possible. So I'm actually going to address this in a forthcoming book. Um, it's it's weird because there's only circumstantial evidence and a whole lot of theory, <laughs> whole lot of theory. And pretty much uh, the, the basic outline of the theory that I'm proposing. And again, it, it's rough because there's there's even less to go on with Jesus than there is for the medieval witches. Um but so during Jesus's day, it is very well established that um, magicians and healers and wonder workers and prophets used psychedelics and entheogens. Uh, Chris Bennett and I uh, refer to the big four, which were cannabis, opium, mandrake and henbane. Those are the ones that seem to be used the most in the ancient world. And so now Jesus was both a healer and he was accused of sorcery by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Now, that makes it not impossible that he could have used substances. There's also this over, um, let's see, what, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? This overcompensation in the Gospels, uh, especially like, if I'm not mistaken, in the book of Acts, that uh, where they want to make sure everybody knows that Jesus' power comes from God alone, that he doesn't need any of the tools of the magician. You know, he doesn't need any, you know, kinds of uh, ritual chants or psychoactives or anything like that, um, you know, or runes or, you know, any kind of magical operation, or, you know, or, or uh, accoutrement. So there's also that, and it's like, Jesus, you know, that he was accused actually of sorcery is very telling. At least, you know, by the, the, the Sanhedrin he was. Uh, the, the pagans accused him of, um, treason. So, you know, it, it's possible, um, but it's more of looking at, you know, how other magicians and wonder workers and healers of his day in the Roman Empire, you know, what the, what their practices were like. And then seeing, you know, if there are any, you know, viable correlations with Jesus. Yeah, that's that's interesting because, I mean, I can say when, you know, I've looked at the Bible and looked at the things that Jesus has said. It, to me, that that sounds almost like somebody that's experiencing some kind of LSD enlightenment or something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's, and there. I, I mean, to me, though, I should say that I think that that comes from Paul, um, the the kind of the more hippie LSD Jesus. <laughs> I, I think that was an invention of Paul. Um, I think uh, the 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 historical Jesus, the guy that actually walked around the earth, you know, by the Sea of Galilee in in the first century. I think that guy was an apocalyptic prophet healer um and uh which is also interesting getting back to the uh the psychedelics we have an account by an apocalyptic prophet that includes using a psychedelic which is uh second esdras 
Oh, okay. Did you say he was he was accused of it? No, no. In the account, it's it seems pretty clear that the the person who wrote the account um, of Second Ezra's had used a um, a uh, a psychedelic for for uh, visionary purposes to prophecy. Oh, okay. Uh, being that there is the entire world of shamanism, the worlds of psychedelics and spirituality and enlightening experiences seem to come up quite often. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also uh, uh, Benny Shanoon over in, um, uh, I think uh, he's at uh, oh, some, some university in Israel. Um, but uh, he also makes a pretty good uh, argument for acacia, like the acacia bush, as a uh, a psychedelic or, you know, to be used entheogenically by ancient Hebrews. And, uh, you know, uh, the mandrake is mentioned in the Old Testament, so they, they clearly knew about the power of these plants. Have you, I forgot who who wrote it, but have you seen that book that came out a few years ago talking about how Jesus was actually a mushroom? Uh, yeah, uh, that's actually a, another book I'm working on. So I'm working on two books right now. Um, one of them is the one I've been kind of describing about, you know, psychedelics and theogens in the ancient world. And the other one, so there are several books on that topic. The guy who first came up with that theory was John Marco Allegro, but, um, there doesn't really seem to be anything there historically. It's an intriguing idea, and uh, the, his book, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, is is really a lot of fun. Like, I, I read it a couple of times. I really liked it. Um, I don't buy any of it. it there are far too many leaps um, that you have to take um, in order for his theory to work, and uh, he also gets a lot of the history wrong. Why do you suppose that the government wants so badly for psychedelic or entheogenic substances to remain illegal? Well, sorry, excuse me one moment. No problem. Just needed a sip of water. Um, I'm, uh, I gotta, I'm not so sure that that's true. Oh, really? I, um, I, I kind of see the pendulum swinging the other way. I mean, Cannabis is legal in your state. It's legal in my state. It's legal in like twelve or so other states. Thank God. Um, what's that? Oh, I just said thank God. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Um, there's also here in Oregon, we're leading the way for legalization of um, psilocybin for um, therapeutic healing uh, up in Canada. Uh, MDMA just passed another schedule, another phase. Uh, of testing for, you know, getting it closer to be legally used by psychiatrists. So I, I'm not, I, I don't really go, to be honest with you, for that, that kind of doom and gloom of yesteryear. The government seems to kind of be backing off all of this. It, it seems to finally be coming around and seeing the actual benefit of uh, these substances. They're, they're slowly letting uh, you know, responsible researchers use them again. You know, you had Rick Strassman working with DMT. You had uh, Roland Griffiths over at Johns Hopkins with psilocybin. You had um, Charles Grobe, dad at UCLA, using psilocybin. You have Mark Hayden using MDMA. Um, or not, uh, or excuse me, Ben Sessa with MDMA. And I think Mark Hayden is responsible for the next phase in testing, but don't quote me on that. But, um the point is, it's actually, it's going the other way. So we should all be really happy and we should be celebrating this, uh, instead of, 
you know, saying that the government is trying to stop it because it clearly isn't. The government seems to really be being kind of chill about it. So let, let, let's be psyched about that. You did mention MDMA. That is a synthetic drug. Is is that something that you feel is relatively safe to experiment with? So MDMA, again, because it's illegal, um, I cannot say whether or not your listeners should or should not use it. I will say that I have used it personally, and it has been very beneficial uh, therapeutically in my life. Um, and it's, it's very, if you, if you can't afford, um, a therapist, <laughs> uh, taking MDMA with a really good friend that you trust is, you'll, you'll get years of therapy done in about five hours. Do you have any thoughts on modern day Wiccans? Um, I mean, yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> you know, like the the more witches, the better. I don't, you know, like I, I have some you know witchy friends of mine uh, that are pretty awesome, and I imagine the uh, other witchy people out there that I don't know are pretty awesome too. Have you ever messed around with tarot cards? Um, I've had uh, I've gotten tarot readings, but I've never worked with them myself. Did the readings that you got, were they insightful at all? Um, you know, just this last uh, December, I think it was, right around the holidays, uh, I got one of the best readings of anything in my entire life. Oh, really? So it, there was really something there, basically. Yeah, there was something there, and it was great. And uh, so far... I don't know, 2017, uh, despite <laughs> the election of this moron, has actually been a pretty good year for me so far. <laughs> so I, I take it you're not a big Donald Trump fan. Uh, no, I have a conscience. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you see this all headed? Is he going to get us all blown up? No, nah, he's not going to. So, uh, two, uh, I, one, I predicted that he would get elected. Uh, I know everyone's like, oh, we were so surprised, we never thought. I knew from day one he was going to win, and I also predicted that he's not going to go the full term. I don't think it's going to be that he gets kicked out. I don't think anything like we just had this whole thing today with Comey. I don't know if anything's going to come from that. I think that he's going to see just how difficult this whole thing actually is, and he's going to step down and, of course, blame someone else and just, you know, blame Congress and say, you know, uh, if even I can't fix it, then it can't be fixed, so it's pointless, and, you know, I'm going to retire to an island or whatever, you know. That's how I see it going down, but... Do you feel like the the system, the, the political system that we have in the United States, do you feel that it's broken, or is there anything that you can think of that we could do to fix it? Uh... That's a big question. <laughs> Sorry about that. Answer your questions in reverse order. Okay. Everybody should take 5-MeO-DMT, and yes. That sounds like a good plan. Maybe we might all start <laughs> start growing brains if we do that. <laughs> well, no, you know what it is? So it comes down to this. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. And this, this is this is probably the, the, the greatest lesson that 
psychedelic witchcraft taught me. It doesn't matter what side of the political fence you're on. Everybody can do one thing. Everyone can do one political act. And that is, they can remove one asshole from the planet by being a decent and kind and civil person. Everybody can do that. So that is my political stance. I just, I remove one asshole from the planet by not being a dick to people. Do you feel like we're headed in the right direction? Do you feel like things will ever get better? Are, are we evolving at all? If more people adopted my philosophy on the subject, then yes. If everybody, think about it, if everybody removed one asshole from planet Earth, imagine what that would do. And since we're kind of on on this sort of political topic, what do you think of the idea that the entire psychedelic movement might be some kind of big disinformation conspiracy thing? Um, I would say that uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even know. Um, whoever would say something like that uh, is clearly not doing the work and would need to provide some kind of, like, evidence for that. Like, so my group, Peers, spreads good information about psychedelics and how to use them responsibly and positively to grow in your life. And none of us <laughs> work for any government anything. So... You know, like, I, I don't, I, it, it would, that, that strikes me as unbelievably ignorant. Let's and kind of counterintuitive, because you just, you have a whole lot of people that are waking up, and to say that that's being caused by the government, like, people have been using these things for thousands of years, I mean, since the beginning of time, you know, but before the written record, I mean, we, we have stone carvings of mushrooms in, in caves in Algeria, like, <laughs> how could, it? I don't, I don't think that the, the government, the American government or the CIA was around back then. It seems to be mostly coming from uh, one individual that, that has a very, very strong stance on this, his name's Jan Irvin, and a lot of the stuff that he has to say is really interesting, but he seems to be very set on pushing forth this idea that all of this psychedelic movement is run by some kind of Illuminati. Well, let me say here and now that um, Jan Irvin, uh, who has actually uh, insulted me uh, publicly, he's insulted many friends of mine publicly, um, Jan Irvin is the laughing stock of the psychedelic research community. He is either not invited to conferences or he is literally banned from them. Um, he is, is he is the clown prince of the, he's essentially been kicked out of the psychedelic renaissance. Um, so you know, if people, you know, whatever. If that if he's your thing. And that's what you're into. That's cool. Like, I don't care. But he's um, I don't know anybody um, that's making a difference in the psychedelic community that takes Jan Irvin seriously. Uh, yeah, and I know that, just about everybody <laughs> and, and nobody takes him seriously. Uh, 
this is this just one guy that that is just grossly is he just making a huge error here? Could there be something nefarious here? Could, could he be working for the government or something like that? <laughs> you know, it's funny because sometimes uh, uh, we joke about that. So I was just at uh, the Exploring Psychedelics Conference in Ashland with uh, Jerry Brown, and we actually were, you know, having a discussion on the whole Jesus mushroom thing. And um, so... It's he. I think somebody said that he accused us of being CIA agents and that our whole, you know, debate was a front or something. I, I don't know. Like is like everybody. I, I kind of don't really pay attention to what Urban says. Um, I don't know. It, it's he just he doesn't. Uh, I I hope he gets the help he needs because there, there's clearly there's some misfirings going on there. Yeah, I would have to agree. I, I did speak with him one time. I just sent him an email inviting him to come on the program, and I, I got the exact same thing. I'm a disinformation agent. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. I'm Illuminati. And it's just oh, ridiculous. Wait. Are you kidding? You got one of those ridiculous, like, like mile-long <laughs> rants from Jan Irvin? Oh, he went through all of my past shows, and he explained how the title of each show had to do with disinformation or psyops <laughs> or... Oh my god! Okay, so just, <laughs> just okay, Dan, <laughs> please, dude. I'm telling you, man. Like, <laughs> he is an idiot. <laughs> He's an absolute <laughs> buffoon. I, I have emailed him. I said, dude, I'll debate you anytime, any place. You tell me. There are radio hosts that have asked the two of us together on radio. He is so terrified of me, dude, because he knows I'll wreck him. Like, oh, my God. And, and now he's bothering you. Too. He bothers everybody. See, this is what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, and he just wouldn't let go. I mean, he, he actually, it's like he wanted to fight with me. I, I wasn't looking for that. I was just looking to put on an interesting show, not defend myself from wild accusations. I mean, I, I've lived here in the Seattle area my whole life. I've never worked for the government or, or anything like that. I, I'd like to think that I'm against that sort of thing. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. It's like, you know, isn't it funny how everybody <laughs> who disagrees with Jan Irvin is secretly a CIA agent? <laughs> like, isn't that telling? There's this great, I don't, I don't know, do you like the uh, the comedian Louis C.K.? Uh, I've heard of him. Okay, there, there's this there's one bit he does where he talks about... Um, when, when someone's an asshole, he's like, look, you know, when somebody tells you or if a bunch of people tell you that you're an asshole, you don't get to say, like, no, I'm not. You know, like, if a bunch of people are telling you that you're an asshole or you think everyone is against you, it's probably because you're an asshole. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something to be something to be. Well, well one thing that, uh, you know, I, I have a gripe with is he's going online and he's saying all these god-awful things about Terrence McKenna, somebody that I learned quite a bit from and somebody I have a lot of respect for. And, and I just think talking about somebody who's passed on like that is just wrong. Well, I, I agree with you 100% on all fronts about that. It's totally wrong. Uh, he's totally maligning uh, one of the great thinkers of, of psychedelia, and he's doing it in such in a dishonest way. I mean, they're, they're, that whole thing with uh, McKenna, and he's talking about how, like, the mushroom 
you know, tapped him to be an agent and, you know, Jan Irvin cut it up to make it sound like the CIA, he's talking about the CIA tapped him to be an agent. And it's like, dude, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> did you think we weren't going to listen to the original and see that you took McKenna completely out of context? Yeah, you you got to have more to go on than just one statement that you're using as the prime evidence for an entire body of accusations. You just you got to have more to go on. Yeah, but such as Jan Irvin. <laughs> okay, you know that that's him, and we all. I mean, there's we we. I think one day we should put together an anthology, just a <laughs> book, a collection of all of our Jan Irvin rants. Like, because I know so many people that get these rants from him. So, and you know, you're just another person I know now that that just has dealt with this nut job. So, uh, yeah, there's there's another podcaster. His name's Greg Carwood. He does the the Higher Side Chats. It's a popular show, and he went on his program and. He was just arguing and arguing and just getting really mean, nasty, and, and hostile. I, I just couldn't believe it. It was It's like he really, literally just loves to fight with people. Yeah, don't you feel bad for the guy? Like, isn't it really sad? Like, exactly. He just, he lo- like, and some people, are, they just, they love fighting with people. I don't know, you know, maybe they're just, they, they feel insecure about something maybe, but it's like, what is with all the belligerents? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, I'm kind of like you. I, I like to have more of a a positive view of psychedelics. While they can be negative sometimes, they're, they're powerful. They can be abused, but to put that whole thing about Illuminati and, and brainwashing the world, it, it just it, no. It's just that's not true. No, it's not. And and I would say that as far as with psychedelics are concerned, that is the most dangerous statement made about psychedelics, that they'll somehow ruin your mind and, 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 and the world if you use them. That and that it's you know, it's from the CIA. That's a dangerous and ignorant and, and just ridiculous statement. And uh they you know, use them responsibly, don't don't go crazy, like we have a second chance. You know, this is the psychedelic renaissance. Like, we're we're getting a second chance with all this. So, everybody, like, if you want to, you know, explore these 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 uh, spirit plants, these medicines, do it, but do it responsibly. You know, know what you're getting into. Make sure that you're in a good mood, be in a safe place. If you're an introverted person, don't take two hits of acid and go to a heavy metal show you're going to have a really bad time. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Time, but I, I would imagine have a, I would have a horrible time. Well, there's there's one uh, movie that I I like. I mean, I admit that it's it's a decent movie, and a lot of my friends always liked it in high school. It's called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've always just thought to myself that that's got to be the worst idea ever, going to Las Vegas. Yeah, I've uh, I've actually kind of been in a similar situation with all that. Oh, really? Would you Would you mind sharing that? Um. All right. You want to hear my really stupid, like the dumbest thing I ever did? Absolutely. Okay. Well, one of the actually, I it's, it's not <laughs> just one dumbest thing I've ever done, but th- this is this one was dumb. So I was on a tour last year, um, and I was in L.A., and I had booked 
four different uh, presentations on my, my book, The Witch's Ointment, in four different cities in four consecutive days. So on Saturday, I was in L.A. On Sunday, I was in Phoenix. On Monday, I was in Albuquerque. And on Tuesday, I was in Austin. And that Saturday, uh, that my presentation went really well. It was, it was a great turnout, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, I'm not going to say her name because I'm about to talk about some illegal shit that went down, <laughs> but she knows who she is. Um, we, we, you know, she came to the talk, and it went so well, so we were like, hey, we should celebrate. So I had some MDMA on me, and I didn't want to bring that into the Southwest. Like, I have this, like, fear of bringing uh, certain amounts of things into red states, although I also tend to do it all the time, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, um, um, so we, we, we took some Molly, and we went out dancing to this kind of music uh, called, uh, it's like this 1960s French porno pop music. Uh, I'd never heard anything like this before, uh, but apparently it's pretty popular, um, and I could see why, because it's a lot of fun and it's interesting. So uh, we were out at this club listening to this, and a couple more of our derby friends show up, and we're hanging out, and we're on Molly, and the club's all, you know, closed, and we eventually go back to her apartment, and we take more Molly, and smoke cash, and play Atari, and pick up sticks, and we're just buddies, you know, like the whole night, we've been really good friends for years, so it's just two really good friends on a whole lot of fun substances, enjoying each other's company. Anyway, at some point, I look at my phone and I say, holy shit, it's six in the morning. And my friend says, yeah. And I say, oh, I got to go. I got to drive to <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. And I made a big vat of coffee, got in my car and drove six or so, six, seven hours to Phoenix Gave a presentation. It was actually one of the better ones that I, like, as far as crowd-wise. It was a really big crowd. Um, and uh, then went back to my other derby friend's place uh, and crashed out for about 15 or 16 hours or so. Oh, damn. Well, you did a good job being a trooper. Yeah, but then I woke up again and then continued and, and drove another six hours or so to Albuquerque, did the talk, um, drove five hours to towards Austin, crashed somewhere in Texas in the middle of the night, woke up and continued the next six or seven or whatever, how many hours, I don't remember. But yeah, that was that was one of the dumbest goddamn things I've ever done. We've all I been there, Tom. Of a rock star story. We, we've all been there, Tom. We've all we've all made mistakes like that. <laughs> Yeah, but now it's at least a fun story. At the time, it's uh, to be sitting in that car, <laughs> leaving Los Angeles, <laughs> knowing that it's <laughs> all night and that I had a six or seven hour drive ahead of me. Ah, oh, that sucked. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds very very stressful. But ha have you ever had one of these really bad trips, like the type where you're just so angry and you're just like pounding on the walls and you just hate everything? No, no, I've never had a, a, a trip uh, where I've, no, nothing like that. Well, it's probably, good, probably a good thing.
Yeah, I mean, I've had bad trips, but I've never had any experience where I felt, you know, any kind of violent urge or felt like there was any violence towards me in any way. Like, like it, when I have a bad trip, it's because I'm a fucking nut job and I'm on psychedelics. <laughs> like, it's my own mind that's <laughs> scaring the shit out of me. So it's it's not really anything else. So that does a very interesting question one thing that's often reported uh, by many people that write about these subjects and a lot of people that just go online and post their experiences is meeting entities meeting spirits meeting aliens do you do you believe in aliens at all like actual flesh and blood aliens um, well, yeah of course it's a very big universe I mean to think that we're the only inhabitants. Um, you know, of it, I, I I think that that's that's a little ridiculous. You know, in in, in the entire cosmos, I mean, there's got to be more. Have you ever talked to any sort of entities while under while on any substances? So when I was uh, I don't even know nineteen, twenty, twenty one, somewhere around there. Uh, we were at my friend Brian Marion's house. Now, Brian Marion's house was haunted, and everybody knew it was haunted. And I didn't think it was a good idea to eat mushrooms there, but it was the only place to go where we could eat mushrooms. And I'm like, guys, like, we're opening portals here. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be in a haunted house. <laughs> and I was talked into it, um, and we went there. And um, so my friend Sean and I... Um, this is funny, he actually just recently had a kid. Uh, but my friend John and I were, uh, in the bathroom, uh, because this other dude was just kind of acting like an asshole. He was just being annoying. And so we just didn't want to have any of it. So I was sitting on the windowsill with my feet, you know, on, on the toilet seat. And I was coloring in a coloring book. And Sean was just sitting in the bathtub. And all of a sudden he says to me, the walls are bleeding. And without looking up, I'm just coloring. I say, dude, you're, you're tripping out. And he says, no, wait, what is that? And he gets up out of the bathtub, and he walks over, and he runs his finger across the wall, and there was a little blood smear. And I looked, and there was fucking blood coming out of the goddamn walls. I shit you not. We ran out of the house screaming. This was in January in New York. We were freezing. We didn't even have our shoes on, the jacket. We ran out of that house and refused to go back in. Yeah, that's that's really scary. It was. So and we were tripping, so we couldn't even go anywhere. So we eventually, my friend Brian came out, and he was so funny. His family, they were like the Munsters. It was hilarious. His his reaction to it was, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to clean that up. You know? <laughs> that was, I swear, like, that was his reaction. <laughs> and so Sean and I stand outside. He gets us those shoes, our jacket, and we're just standing out there freezing, waiting to come down. And now, I mean, we're just filled with adrenaline as well. And like, just like, just waited and finally good enough to drive. And I drove us home and it was just, uh, I mean, to this day, um, all of us, I mean, if he were to ask either Brian, Sean, like, uh, even the guy that was being an asshole that we we're trying to get away from, 
Um, they will, they'll all tell you the same story. I tell you, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's really, really disturbing when you hear about uh, multiple people seeing the same hallucination. That's another thing that I love about Terrence McKenna's work. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're you're aware of that story he told in, in his book True Hallucinations, where him and his brother were seeing the same hallucinations. Um, I, I honestly don't recall, but I'm, I, I could see uh, uh, Terrence definitely writing that. It's weird that Dennis has such a different kind of approach. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. He just he's so nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's weird because my writing, I I don't know, like it, I find it to be, and just kind of my whole take on the whole on psychedelia to be somewhere between, uh, Terrence and uh, Dennis. No, I feel influenced by both of them. Uh, yeah, the pretty much the only other guy that uh, you know was a psychedelic researcher that that I've had the pleasure of interviewing was, was Dennis. And he's just a really good guy all around. Good guy. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know. Him. I, I met him very briefly at the, uh, the maps conference, uh, this past, I think it was in April, um, or May, one of those. Anyway, uh, very briefly, you know, just shook his hand, took a picture, not, you know, really meeting or anything like that. But, uh, Everybody spoke very highly of him, and I mean, if he's a McKenna, he's amazing. Cat uh, Harrison's pretty fantastic as well. Yeah, he, Dennis, he he let Jan interview him at some point, so he must be a good guy. Really, was it a long time ago? Yeah, a long time ago, and I'm I'm sure he had no idea of the accusations that that he was making about his brother until much later. Well, it was probably before uh, the accusations. And isn't it so just even less than shameful that Irvin, like, sells Terrence McKenna's, like, stuff on his website? Like, how low can you get? Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. Anyway. No, I, I absolutely agree. But um, now how about a belief in, in spiritual beings, like like demonic entities? Could, could there be demonic entities that, that modern-day modern day magicians or, or these witches of old might have dealt with? Uh, yes, but it's more, so let me, let me unpack that a little bit though. So demon is from daemon. Daemon is the ancient word for it. And a daemon was not necessarily an evil, you know, spirit, the way we think of demons today as, you know, the, these horrible creature kind of things like a demon, you know, um, that's not what a daemon was. A daemon was a neutral being that could be used and called upon by a magician to do something good, like help an old lady cross the street with her groceries, or do something bad, like sink the ship of, you know, a rival, you know, sea merchant or whatever. So, do I believe that there are energies that can be harnessed for good, bad, and everything in between ways? Absolutely. And do I think people have done that for a millennia? Absolutely. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with the big one. Do you believe in God? I well, again, see that's difficult because everybody has a different idea as to what that what God is and what that means. Um, I will say that my experiences with. Um, entheogens uh i i personally think that there is something beyond the veil and it's actually i was surprised 
uh, to find out that it wasn't. Um, uh, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll 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 tell the story real quick. So my first five uh, meo DMT experience um, was uh, when I first met, for lack of a better word, what we'll call God, and I don't have really any doubts for myself anyway that there's something beyond the material world now because I'm pretty sure I've seen it. And the one thing that I was the most surprised about was that I thought, you know, that if there happened to be a God and if I ever met what it was, that it was going to be this supreme consciousness, right? It was going to be this all-knowing thing. But what was interesting was when I got there, it wasn't. It was just love. It wasn't all-knowing. It wasn't even aware of itself. Like, if there is some kind of it, and I think there is, I don't believe it's aware of itself. I don't believe that it knows that we're here. I don't believe it knows it's here. But I've seen it. I'm pretty sure it is there. And uh, anybody that takes a hefty dose of 5-MeO DMT can see it for themselves. Um, I, I don't have um, any any doubts at this point in my life. Uh, but I, I've, I've ebbed and flowed. I've gone through times when I've been a straight-up atheist. And I've been agnostic, and it's just, you know, I, I try to, you know, when new information, or as the dude would say from the Big Lebowski, when new shit comes to light, you know, I adopt that new shit. And when I took 5-MeO-DMT, new shit came to light, like, wow, did it ever. And uh, now I'm, I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced. Have you... Or are you planning to look into the world of voodoo and the drugs associated with that? With voodoo? Yeah, because it's it's kind of a I would say it's a little bit similar to to the thing with the witches and the deter and all that because these these guys do incorporate drugs into whatever strange things they get up to. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely. I mean, now, as far as, like, I haven't looked into voodoo, and um, if I end up looking into it, it won't be for a while, because I have two other books I'm writing, and we're also, uh, the, my group Piers has been doing a lot of filming, and we're trying to put footage together for, uh, you know, a possible series. Um, so I just, I, I kind of got a lot on the docket right now. But, I mean, voodoo, it's definitely interesting. I mean, all all different uh, magical techniques and practices are interesting. Even if you don't ascribe to them, they're still, you know, in their own right, you know, for their own sake, pretty interesting. Series, that sounds interesting. Did, did you want to talk about that, or can you talk about that at all? What, what was that? Oh, the, the series that you mentioned. Are, are you allowed to talk about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're just right now, um, we're, I'm going to be putting something up on my website in the coming weeks. Um, uh, my website is psychedelicwitch.com. Uh, and to all your listeners, I'm an author and a psychonaut. I am not a web designer, so my website is not very well <laughs> put together. <laughs> but for me, it's pretty impressive if you knew how grossly, um, uh, 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 just helpless I were I actually am with electronics in the digital age. So for me it's really good. But anyway, um 
I'm going to be putting some of the videos on uh, on my website in, in the coming weeks. And it's just uh, videos of different people in the psychedelic movement and uh, the psychedelic renaissance. Uh, like with peers, we have one part that we're doing that's going to be a YouTube series called Profiles of the Psychedelic Renaissance, um, where, uh, like, I was just in Ashland. We interviewed a couple of the uh, the, the scholars down there, like Arista Dean, um, uh, Merrill Ward, uh, among others, uh, and um, my friend Amanda as well. And uh, we, um, you know, we're waiting to just kind of edit them down and make them look good to actually release them to the public. But they're coming. Awesome. And about um, five, six years ago, there was a big phenomenon on YouTube where a lot of people were taking salvia getting it from the local gas station or wherever and they were they were filming it and they're putting it on YouTube and I, I feel it did a little bit of damage to the whole psychedelic infusion world. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that at all? I'm sorry, say that one more time? Oh, I was just asking you about about salvia, if if you had any thoughts on salvia or these videos that young people were going around making of themselves doing salvia and posting it up on YouTube. Uh, you know, I don't have much um, knowledge of that, or I haven't really watched the videos on it, so to comment on it would be just straight ignorance on my part, because I, I don't know. Okay, fair yeah, enough. I mean, I, I deal um, mostly with um, uh, mushrooms, um, cannabis, henbane, mandrake, and getting good information about those things out there. Okay, well, another question I had, um, there's some people out there that their belief and their philosophy is that all drugs should be legal, and then there's people that believe that none should be legal. Uh, do you believe that they should all be legal? Um, it's weird. Uh I, you know, let's have a, let's have a dialogue about this because that's a great question. Um, on one hand, it's uh, they uh, so uh, most of the time when we're talking about you know if they should all be legal, when people are talking about problems, they're talking about things like heroin. Mm -hmm. The thing is, most people that don't do heroin. Don't do it, and that has nothing to do with its legal standing. I don't do heroin. I don't suggest anybody ever does heroin. <laughs> if they made it legal tomorrow and the government offered it to me for free, I still wouldn't do it, nor would I recommend anybody else taking it. Even if they offered me money to do it, I still wouldn't do it. So I guess what I'm saying is legalizing all drugs is not, I don't believe people do this or that drug based on whether it's legal or illegal. Even friends that I have that don't smoke cannabis, its illegality has nothing to do with it. They don't smoke it because they don't like the effects of it. You know, they like, you know, beer or something instead, or they like their cigarettes, but they just, they don't like cannabis. Now, for me, I can't imagine what it must be like to not like cannabis because I love cannabis, you know? So... Uh, yeah, that that makes a makes a lot of sense. Uh, unfortunately, we, we are getting very close to the end of our interview, but I I did want to go ahead and just open things up. 
and give you an opportunity, if you want, to go ahead and get on the soapbox one more time and, and say whatever you'd like to say. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to plug anything, any upcoming talks, uh, your website, anything at all, feel free to go ahead and use this opportunity right now. Sure. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for having me on, Daniel. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Um, so to find out more about me and my research, uh, you can do that a couple of ways. One is psychedelicwitch.com. Um, and uh, another way is if you go on Facebook and search for Peers, P-E-E-R-S, that's the Portland Entheogenic Exploration and Research Society. Uh, I'm one of the directors. Um, we are... Uh, the group that I've been kind of talking about uh, throughout this interview. Um, and, uh, yeah, just uh, get involved. Oh, we also have peers.space uh, is our website. Uh, you can check us out there. Um, we host people, uh, speakers, all the time. In fact, this Thursday we have Jerry Brown, um, author of the Psychedelic Gospels, who I just, uh, you know, did a whole thing with kind of a debate dialogue in um in Ashland at the Exploring Psychedelics Conference. Uh he's gonna be here uh this Thursday. So if you're in the Portland area or around the Portland area or wanna hear Jerry speak or meet him and get his book and have it signed, uh we got him. <laughs> we bagged him. So uh come on down. Okay, awesome Tom. It, like you said it was a lot of fun. Let's do it again sometime. Oh I've, oh can I say one more thing? Go ahead. I'm also starting, <laughs> I'm also going to be starting a, a tour in two weeks. Um, the dates will be posted on my website, again, psychedelicwitch.com, in about a week or so. And I think I'm coming up to uh, Seattle and uh, Vancouver, B.C. in uh, July or August. So uh, hopefully you'll see some of you cats uh, out there. Uh, yeah, awesome. Like I said, I'd, I'd love to do this again sometime. We can uh, make fun of Jan a little bit more. <laughs> Dude, if you ever want to... Uh, when I'm in Seattle, I'm going to come up there and do a talk. If you want to just get together, I'll roll a nice, fat <laughs> New York blunt, double leaf, none of the single leaf crap that the kids are doing, a real deal goddamn blunt. You want to sit down and just smoke a blunt and talk <laughs> shit <laughs> about Yon Irvin. Not only am I your guy, I could bring plenty of people who'd love to <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll have a whole event set around it. No, that that would be. Uh, I mean, honestly, it, it I would it would be a waste of time <laughs> to talk about more meaningful stuff because he's not he's not even worth it. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, I'll let you get get along with your night, Tom. Thank you, thank you again, and you have a good night, my friend. You too, Daniel. Peace. Peace. And there you have it. That was. Thomas Hatsis or Tom Hatsis. Very interesting interview. It's always, always so interesting. But this night is kind of special because we don't get a whole lot of chances to talk about psychedelics. So big, big thank you to Tom for, for giving an amazing interview here on End of Days Radio. We're going to do the usual thing and go ahead and take a little break and we'll come back and we'll talk a little news. We'll read some letters. I got some stuff on my mind I want to go over and you can actually call in too, so I will see you then. Let's listen to a little music. And welcome back to the fastest growing paranormal show in the world, B 
the number one paranormal show in the world. That's right. Coast to Coast is not number one. In fact, I wouldn't even put Coast to Coast in the top five because there's a lot of good podcasts out there and a lot of good ones starting up every day. And like I said last time, the more people that are doing things like this, getting on the air, broadcasting through the Internet, the quicker and quicker that terrestrial radio is going to die a slow, agonizing death. And hopefully, George Norrie's boring ass and his boring guests along with it. Yay. That, that sounded really mean. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Anyways. <laughs> this is our news and listener roundtable portion of the show. <clears throat> I got it a little confrontation today, I guess you could call it that. You see, I really like to shop at the Goodwill. and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I love the Goodwill. You can find all kinds of cool things. Clothes, CDs, DVDs, furniture, electronics. You kind of got to go on the right day when they're having a sell or they might have missed one of their better items and you find something that's worth more than what they're charging for. Well, I, I collect CDs. I'm into music. As many of you know, I'm a burgeoning musician. I kind of suck, but I, I absolutely love creating music, and, and I love listening to music as well. But I was in the CD section today, and this this jerk, he's really getting up in my space, and he's, like, sticking his arm into my space, like, reaching across, reaching across the uh, shelf, like, right in front of my face, and and I, I'm just kind of ignoring him, you know, I'm just looking at stuff. I, I, I don't get into confrontations with people. I was just trying to look at the CDs. And this guy was really getting into my space, and I had a friend there with me, and this friend showed me a CD. I said, oh, that looks cool. And they showed me another one while I'm standing in front of the shelf still, and this guy's trying to, like, edge his way in and get me to move by, by like, acting like... making. <laughs> he's making, like, these little steps. Like, he's coming towards me, but he's not. He's just kind of kind of jumping at me a little bit, like lunchy, like a false start in football, except he's not really moving his feet. He's just kind of, you know, pointing his body and, and moving it a little bit towards me and then moving it back like he's trying to, like, nudge me over. So I, so my friend talks to me and shows me a CD, and I, I say, well, that's, that's cool, not something I want to buy today. Then the guy goes, really? Like, I don't know what he was saying really about. I don't know if he was saying really about the CD that my friend was showing to me or saying really because I wouldn't move out of his way, but I was starting to get a little pissed off at that point because my friend there isn't doing anything, has nothing to do with the situation revolving around the, the territory of the, of the CD shelf, so so I, I, I decided to start fucking with him. I, I could be an asshole sometimes, what can I say, so... I start doing this exact same thing that he's doing to me, but I start doing it back to him. Like, I start reaching my arm across his personal space and grabbing that CDs that are, like, right next to his belly. You know, the exact same thing that he was doing to me. I normally wouldn't do anything like this. I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not mean. I'm not a jerk. But when he brought my friend into it and he started being rude to my friend, that's when I start to get that feeling like this person is crossing the line and I need to stand up for myself or stand up for this other person. And so I'm I'm doing the same thing back to him and he goes, excuse me, can I look over here at these? And I said to him, actually, I, I was here first. And 
for some reason, that just really set this guy off. He says, I guess personal courtesy, or he says, I guess courtesy, common courtesy, isn't a thing anymore. I'm like, no, it has nothing to do with common courtesy. I was here first, and you're pushing your way in. And he just keeps repeating the same thing. Well, I guess common courtesy isn't a thing anymore. Here, go ahead. Let me know when you're done, bud, so that I can look. The whole time, the guy's, like, walking away. Like, he's walking away, and and, and he's kind of skedattering out of there. Not that I was you know, trying to fight him or anything like that. I was just trying to look at some CDs. And, uh, <laughs> and he goes around to the other side of the idol aisle, and he's still yelling. He's going, I, I, let me know when you're done so I can look. And, you know, I, I'm getting pissed off. I mean, I, I normally wouldn't do anything like this, but I had half a mind to just say, hey, buddy, look, you want to go behind this Goodwill here and, and duke it out like real men? But I didn't do that. I figured it just wasn't worth it, so I didn't do anything like that. I just kind of shook my head on him, shook my head at him, and that was that. He he got out of there. I stayed and looked at stuff. He was embarrassed, so he got out of there. He was making this big old scene over nothing. The CDs there cost two dollars. This guy's fighting over two dollars CDs. Ridiculous. He totally ruined my Goodwill experience today. I was trying to have fun. I was hoping I'd find some hidden treasure in there. Like maybe the soundtrack for the movie Clueless. Who knows? Oh, so anyways, besides the goodwill asshole, what else is going on today? Oh, I want to give a shout out to a listener named Peter. He did donate to the show. So special thanks to Peter out there. Thank you, big fella. Thank you for helping this show keep the lights on and keep the servers up. Oh, what's this? What's this? It appears that we have a call. Hello. Hey, Daniel. Hey there, buddy. What's going on, my man? Not much. Did you, did you hear my story about going to the Goodwill today? I did. I love Goodwill stories because I, I haunt those places. Are you a Goodwill freak like me? I'm a total freak of every, any kind of Salvation Army uh Desert Industries, that's what they call the thrift stores in Utah, the Mormon ones. Uh-huh. Just full of great junk. Now, I imagine Mormons must give away a lot of good stuff because a lot of them are filthy rich. Oh, yeah. Just picture Mitt Romney, you know, what he gets rid of weekly. <laughs> and you can go down there like, you know, your average peasant and pick through that. <laughs> if you're lucky, you get there first and... Oh, these scavengers are finding Mitt Romney's furniture. No, I'm just teasing. Well, the, I can say that the Mitt, Goodwill used to be a lot better before all this eBay stuff started because they used to sell everything for like three, four bucks at the most. Now they're pricing off right. of eBay, so it's super expensive. Yeah, it's a it's a, an industry. Yeah, if you go over to India or China where people are in abject poverty. There literally are minefields just miles long of television sets, electronics, and every scavenging person's out there trying to get anything they can to get a couple of pennies. It's horrible. Well, apparently you can take apart some of these old electronics and get things like gold and silver and even crystals, I think, out of some of them. Oh, totally. That's what they're using these people for in those countries. 
And they that's do. That's why uh, the, the Illuminati set it up so that those people always have to pick for the diamonds to barely survive their day. That's what they were, would have us at, Daniel, if they had their way. Oh, oh yeah, no doubt. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine earlier, and we were kind of talking about how back in, like, the 70s, you could have a normal job just working, you know, like maybe doing construction or working at a factory or a grocery store or something. Oh, yeah. And you would make enough money to support a four-bedroom house, have two cars, a dog, two kids, and your wife would not even have to work. Yep, and a boat. <laughs> yeah, and a boat, too. Uh-huh. Well, that's how I grew up. But that's and, just... Um, go ahead. And my mom was always home, which is a wonderful influence. I didn't see my dad enough, but he taught me enough of the manly ways back then in the 70s. You know, my dad was a hunter. Oh, okay. So um, he was a Roman. He, he he hunted everything. He's a real man he, to this day. He wasn't he a... He was the top a, of the snowiest fucking highest mountain peak. Sit there for just long enough to make it happen. Nobody else would do this, you did, know, in their right mind. Did he? <laughs> did he ever bring home like a deer? And he's like, "Son, oh, go ahead God, and clean Daniel, that up." Don't make me tell you really quick because I got things I wanted to tell you. The worst experience I ever had that really kind of made me turn, um, you know, against hunting was dragging the deer down from the mountain. My dad's a skilled expert, and he kills he kills it. We get it. We're way up in the Uintas, Daniel, so far away from society that it's insane, and just six feet of snow. And the best way to get the deer back to camp is to drag it down the stream on a mountain. And, uh, and I'm trying to keep up with my dad because he's a fucking burly man, you know. He's carrying this fucking 300-pound deer down the mountain. Sure, you, you, you want to show I'm, off for your dad, of I'm course. I'm slipping. Yeah, I'm slipping in the blood, you know. I'm slipping in. I'm all bloody. <laughs> oh, boy. We cut it all up, and all the organs are out there, and it's steaming. And, whew, that'll turn you off of hunting, uh, the gutting part, but... We're dragging it down the hill, and I'm covered in blood because I'm slipping and sliding. And, and I don't hold this against my dad. I'm just younger. And I'm not as fast and powerful as him, and so I'm covered in blood. And it wasn't a great experience. That's kind of part of the and culture that, down there, isn't it, hunting? Yeah. And then the other part, Daniel, that's horrible is they, you know, string the deer up in your garage. Oh, wow. And uh, let it dry. Yeah. And then cut the beef jerky out of it and all the best parts. And then I never wanted deer again when I was old enough to choose what meat I would eat. No more deer. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I would love no. to get I would love to get my hands on some of that because I've had deer maybe once or twice and it is so good. Oh my god. Well, I'm just trying to explain. This is when I was a child. You were getting bombarded when with I was it. young. Yeah, when I was like in my early teens. Because um, my dad was so skilled at it that, you know, we went camping all the time and hunting all that shit. But but it was too much for the processing and the getting of it at that age to see and want to do it. Did you have one of those moments where your dad was like, son, it's time. I want you to kill that buck over there. Oh, where they smell your blood on your face? No. <laughs> Thank God. It was bad enough just to watch him cutting it open and 
you know, pulling out the stuff. So you never, you never had to pull the trigger. You never had to pull the trigger. Um, well, I, I shot every kind of gun when I was young because my dad was into that, but I never, I never got anything like that. Uh, I never shot a deer. Nope. Because my parents divorced. Now we're getting deep, Daniel. I didn't mean to, I had a couple things I wanted to say outside of this. <laughs> my parents got divorced and then my second father wasn't a hunter. He was a military guy when I was in my early to late teens. And so when, you know, I wasn't hunting after that. You get that? Well, it sounds like you, you must have liked the guy. You called him your second father. <clears throat> oh, no, he was a horrible person, but I'm not going to uh, mention names and all that. Um, yep, it wasn't good. Um, it was good and it wasn't. It was uh, living under a military uh, father, you know, that's in out of his mind uh. in your early teens up to the end of high school after you were free with your first dad. That's not a good experience. So he was kind of like the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, he's a drill sergeant. Every day he would come in and go through every cabinet and go, who owned my cookies? <laughs> that's a horrible story. You know, see his soda pops because he would have his all lined up, choo, 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 and nobody else could, you know, get into his supply. You know, and Todd, young what, kids. <laughs> one, one of the things that I hate, like one of my big pet peeves, is when you're in a house full of yeah. people and somebody acts greedy about this or that certain item. I mean, it's in the fridge. It should be for everybody. No, I hear you, especially if it's got a date on it. Uh, eat that shit. <laughs> but, Daniel, I wanted to talk about something before we got too far off track. I loved your guest. Wow. Awesome. Um, on the subject of the uh, witch, witch tr hunts and trials and, and the burnings and the torturings, right? Uh-huh. I, sp I spent a lot of years studying, you know, spread a lot of books on uh, what they did to the witches, the magicians. That's one of the reasons witches and magicians have such a grudge against the church because of how many people they killed, Daniel. That were just minding their own business, believing their own belief system. Yeah, there, there the was a, there were, there were actually like, like the guest Tom was talking about. It's my understanding that there was actually like little parties, little groups of hunters that would that would go out and look for them. Uh, I'm not sure though if they were employed by the church or not. I can only imagine they must have been employed or recruited no, by no, the Vatican. What it, what it was, Tom Tom was trying to explain that it's more complex because Europe is a bunch of states that are feudal systems ran by their local governing oligarch. Right? That's why he said it was complex. Because you could be in Europe and not everybody would be being tortured and hunted down by the Inquisition. Yeah. But when it reached its height, they were killing millions of people. Not every state, not every country at that time was under severe oppression. 
but some of them were under the most severe oppression, like Spain and uh, and a couple of those countries. That's why the Spanish Inquisition reached, you know, is the one you still hear about, is because it reached its zenith of insanity with the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, where they were uh, literally everybody's turning everybody in, anybody's a witch, you never know whether it's coming. So after years of that crap, uh, uh, witches and and magicians don't really side with the state. The state, Daniel, that's all it really is. But yeah, absolutely. I I mean, as somebody that is a believer in things like magic and, and ceremonial ritual and things like that, I can only imagine herbs, that... The herbs or science or the fact that the world may be round. It's not round. Know, it's not round. It's not round. But, but anyways, I digress. Uh, I can only imagine that, like, let's say that there are some, you know, hidden occult magical secrets, like like we were talking about with EA yesterday, Let's say that there are secrets like that. Well, anybody in power is not going to want anybody else to have these secrets. It's, it's safe for them if they get rid of the knowledge entirely because they won't be attacked by it. Have you seen Doctor Strange? Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that movie. We were talking about it yesterday. Okay. What they're doing there, and I didn't hear your interview yesterday, Daniel. I was working. All I do is work because the Illuminati has me just chained to the fucking grindstone. Um, but occasionally I can break away to make a call to you. Um, probably They'll probably whip me after this call, Daniel. <laughs> ah, get back to work. But anyways, on that movie, so they got all these ancient books chained up in the library of the, of the master over in the Himalayas, right? Yeah. This is just fictional trappings um, that they put together in a movie to to describe um, belief systems that people hold about their masters over in the Himalaya that can control reality. That that's old, um, you know, nonfiction. You can find all kinds of works about describing people going to the Himalayas to meet the masters because they're sitting over there meditating. Alice Bailey. Uh, Alice Bailey. Yeah, and uh, Alice Bailey, um, what what did she do, Daniel, remind me? She was a protege of the German witch, Madame Blavatsky, Helena Blavatsky. Oh, she was a protege. Yeah, she was later on. Because Blavatsky and, and, was and check this out, the Todd. Century. Check this out real quick. Yeah. Uh, she went over to Tibet and she started learning from these, these masters over there. A lot of people think that she was just completely bullshitting, but uh, one of the stories she told was of these containers that they had and these these magicians, these sorcerers in Tibet. They would put live people in there, and they would every so often they would come along and they cut a little chunk of their flesh out and they would eat it, and that's how they attained a a form of immortality. Alice Bailey said that? Absolutely. Well, that's kind of weird. Um, I'm a student of anthropology, you know, like a, a lay student, Daniel. I've read a lot of 
books about anthropology. And if you go back, and that's why I always try to take you back to the beginnings of our supposed uh, society's culture, it, it was based, uh, you know, the, they it was all warfare, and it's all feudal systems. Even in the earliest days, the tribes in the jungles are fighting against the next tribe over, right? Yeah, it's still like Sometimes that. they're peaceful. Sometimes they get along and they trade, but but they abduct members of the other tribe. I mean, the whole thing. But you've got the tribal system, and you have the elders that sit over at the old corrupt fuckers at the top, and then you have the witch doctor, the shaman, because there is that element of our reality. It's there. And I won't sit and argue with it. And then there's the one that knows how to manipulate the energy. And then there's other lower positions. And then there's the, all the people, the, pe- the the tribes, you know, the tribe controlled by the little group. It's the same thing today. That's why I try to get back to the basic anthropology. They look at primitive systems sitting in the Amazon or... They can find them today, Daniel. They never met a civilized human being. And they're doing the same stuff that our modern-day slave masters are doing. Uh, yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt that at all. Like you said, so many of us, purely because of this system of inflation and system of debt and, and this worldwide banking conspiracy, we're we're forced to work two or three times as much as people did back in the 60s, back in the 70s, just so we can have exactly the same amount of stuff. What they're doing is they tried to slow down the progression of technology and time because they realized that we're in an intelligence explosion. I've told you this before, Daniel. What's happening is the amount of stuff that's known is, is... compounding 1,000 times every day now. You might not perceive it, but computers and AI are taking it in. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It kind of goes back to to uh, what, what we've talked about before with this flat earth thing. Uh, maybe it really is just perception. That That's something that EA Coiting also said Yesterday, he mentioned that he kind of has a similar belief that if you believe that it's round, it's round. If you believe that it's flat, well, then it's flat. Um, I have a belief that you only see what you were trained or taught or have figured out what to see to a degree in certain areas, especially about history or or more complex subjects, skills. You don't just know a skill because you'd like to. You have to actually learn that, right? Yeah. Um, it's the same with getting your brain out of this prison box they built for us. Uh, you know me, Daniel. I'm one of those that believes there's a metal mulching machine at the end of this bitch. They've set it up. They're ruthless. 
and they're trying to molt your brain first and your body simultaneously. And and if you don't get out as fast as you can, and even the ones that get out, all we're doing is maybe buying us a minute more of time. No, I, I agree with you, Todd. In fact, one of the main goals is to suppress us on an in, individual basis, meaning they want us to hate ourselves, they want us to be down on ourselves, because if they can get us in a state like that, we're very low energy. It's hard to motivate ourselves to even get up and move, let alone let alone uh, instigate any sort of changes. So by keeping oh, I, us, you know, go ahead. You know, I love your last guest. Was it Robert Bruce? Oh, Richard, Robert, Richard, Richard Bruce. Richard Bruce, where he was talking about the gang stalking. Um, they, they gang stalk you. They will. It happens. He's right. Go look at this shit. But but if you don't fight, then if you fight, there isn't enough of them. If if enough people fought them, showed them on video, showed them what they're doing, explained the deceptions, um, there isn't enough of them. In World War Two. Um, all the al- Allied armies, United States, um, England, they created phony uh, tanks and weapons to make it look like they had a bigger force. So they understand disinfo to a point you can't believe, to where they can create a thing where if you're looking down above, it looks like you got a giant army, but it's just cardboard tanks. Yeah, in fact, balloons. In fact, Todd, there's people out there that actually believe that nuclear weapons never existed. It's all a hoax in order to keep the entire world in a state of fear. It's control through fear. Well, uh, and I don't know about the people that don't believe in nuclear weapons. I know Fukushima is supposedly melting down. I know that you can't go to um, Chernobyl because you'll die. Is that real or not? I don't know about, I mean, when we saw the bomb test, when we saw, you know, the nuclear bombs. No, no, wait, Todd. Wait wait a second. We didn't see anything. All we saw was video footage. Right, but that's not, that's not, is that, that's just a big bomb? That's just a big bomb? Well, they faked an entire moon landing. No, I, I, I'm with you, Daniel. I can't believe a word these guys say. No, I'm, I'm not if saying I can't that. Prove it myself, Todd. I'm not saying that I know for sure that nuclear <laughs> weapons aren't real. But whether they're real or not, they still control the world through fear. And in regards to what you said earlier about Fukushima and Chernobyl, that's actually a different type of nuclear reaction. Uh, what they do in these nuclear facilities is they actually boil water incredibly efficiently. It's completely different than a giant explosion that can level an entire city. Oh, right, right. Yeah, a nuclear power plant is not a giant nuclear explosion. Right. Uh, Daniel, before I lose track, uh, you know, get too far off, there was another point I wanted to make because I was listening real close to your show. I love the subject, the idea of producing trance state to go beyond and see and do things that you can't normally do unless you're in a trance state. I believe it was Crowley that said that 
magic works a lot better when you're on something. Well, Callie was on everything and died <laughs> a happy heroin addict. Yeah, but I, um, I but do I, think there's something there for sure, absolutely. Maybe it just opens the chakras. Maybe it opens your mind a certain way. Who knows? I can only speculate. Well, I know what I've experienced. If I drink a cup of coffee in the morning, it makes me feel good and wakes my ass up all of a sudden. Oh, I feel kind of, you know, I can do this. Um, if I smoke a cigarette, gets my heart pumping right before I got a load of truck because I'm a construction worker. Oh, Todd, but, um, you, you got to quit those cigarettes, man. Now I'm worried about you. I hear you, Daniel. Pray for me because, you know, I, I'm a singer. And I don't want my voice to go. But, I, Daniel, I wanted to say on that subject of witchcraft, I got a fantastic witchcraft book, and it's called Mastering Witchcraft. And it's from Paul Hewson, and, and, and it was uh, copyright, you know, 1970. But he was writing a book that was pretty much the witches, the official witches of the world, let him write the book, right? It's an incredible book. Paul Hewson. But anyway, Paul, Paul in the book. Okay. Pardon, pardon me? Oh, you said Paul Houston, right? Uh, Houston. Oh, Paul Houston. H-U-S-O-N. And what's the book called yep. again? It's called Mastering Witchcraft. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Oh, it's so good. It's bound with a leather, uh, black leather, and it has an imprint, like a sigil, but, but it's more like a... Um, a dial on the cover, so incredible, black uh, leather, red writing, very sinister looking, and um, on purpose. But in the book, it explains, do you want to get to know the power of witchcraft? And I'm going to make this short, Daniel. Um, But I had to interject this because of your guests. The book explains that if you want to get really close to the power of witchcraft, do this. Go into a darkened closet or the spookiest room in your house. Scariest place you can find. Take the Lord's Prayer and say it backwards. Memorize the Lord's Prayer and say it backwards. In a dark space. Yeah, Todd, I'm I'm not going to do that. Just hearing about that gives me the creeps. <laughs> no, but if you want to feel the spookiest energy, if you want to test the limits of our society's culture and their taboo, you go do that. You know, your guest was talking about the psychedelics and psilocybin and their connections to witchcraft. My book that I have was explaining that you can produce similar effects in yourself. That'll scare yourself to death if you're a Christian-believing person. Todd, I can't even... Todd, I cannot even be in the room alone with a Raggedy Ann doll because I'm afraid it's going to start moving (laughs) on its own. (laughs) as the book explains, Daniel, if you do this and you and you survive, 
you'll feel like chains of society breaking off of you when you realize God doesn't strike you down with a thunderbolt. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, we'll and so the the book the book uses a trick to produce a, a trick that you can see to make you follow further into the book to see what they're explaining. Uh, yeah, in fact, in the in the world of magic and occult, uh, it's said that you can you can gain power from doing certain things that trespass your limits. Like if you were to uh, a stab a dead animal, if you were to dissect it and poke into the poke into its organs, somehow the, the psychological effect on your mind gives you a kind of power. Um, yeah, that's animism, where they believe that. Um the universe is filled with um, every tree, plant, animal has a spirit. Um, that's some of the early, our earliest culture's beliefs, supposedly. Uh, all right, Todd. Uh, we, that, we we could probably do this all day, but I better I better move along. Oh, totally. It's, yeah, it's almost been a half hour. Right, so, great. yeah, awesome. Great show, Daniel. Yeah, th- thanks for calling, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Have a good evening. Peace. All right, buddy. Good night. And that was our buddy Todd. See, sometimes I get wrapped up in these conversations with Todd. I'll even do it off air sometimes. And we'll just get to talking and talking and talking. Next thing you know, like seven hours have passed and I didn't get any sleep. And you know how it goes. I get in these conversations. I lose track of time. I think Todd's casting some kind of spell on me. <laughs> All right. Anyways, uh, I had a few things I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, I'll go ahead and read a letter. This is from Barry. He says, hi, will you please start doing a daily show? You are the best podcaster out there, period. We want more. Well, first of all, Barry, thank you. I'm, I'm, your words have a great effect on me. That that makes me feel so good that somebody thanks that out there. That is an incredible compliment. I'm ecstatic that you like the show. Uh, but you got to realize that this isn't a day job. It's a hobby. It's something that I have to fit into time when I'm not at work working. And sometimes especially if I'm working overtime, I get really tired. Um, I'm usually capable of powering through, downing about a do, and getting right through it. But there are going to be times when there's long periods where I'm just not doing any shows because I've got to, I've got to focus on Daniel's stuff first before I can focus on this. And by Daniel's stuff, I don't mean playing cards with the guys or anything like that. I mean, uh, doing what I have to do to survive day-to-day in this 3D matrix. So that stuff has got to come first. I mean, I, I've talked about this before. you got to do what you got to do so you can do things like have a podcast and, and actually enjoy the things that you enjoy in life. Sadly, because we are in a monetary prison, because we are in a materialistic matrix hell, or, or it's a hell to some, it's a heaven to others who have the money. But because we are in this situation, we don't have a lot of free time. That's 
one of the things that makes it so sad. Our our lives are spent slaving away, just making barely enough to make ends meet. I really wonder if life would be better, if the world would be better, if we just went back to living in small tribes in the forest and we would hunt with spears and bows and arrows. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I hear these people talk about how these tribes in the jungles of Africa and South America, they end up just scavenging around the outside of cities, trying to collect garbage and doing things like that. Uh, basically, the idea is that they hate their lives. But I can only imagine that's because they've already been exposed to uh, post-industrial culture. I can't imagine that they would be miserable if they simply didn't have things like iPhones and television sets and things like that. I mean, I couldn't give it up now. I can say that much. I can't go live on some hippie farm with a bunch of vegans with hairy armpits, chicks with hairy legs and armpits, rubbing their stubs all over my face. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, yeah, baby, show me that armpit hair. Oh, yeah, I like you. You're a natural woman. None of that Illuminati shaving those pits shit. Yeah, let me rub my face. In. Okay, I'm being disgusting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop. But you know what I mean. I, what, what the situation we're in is that the average person has to work hard so a few people at the very top can do nothing all day and ride around in their trillion-dollar boats with their supermodel girlfriends and supermodel wives or, or, or supermodel husbands in some cases, I'm sure. Luckily, they're able to do those things. I mean, not luckily. That's awful that they're having so much fun on our backs. I think there's something wrong with that. I think that that's the type of feeling that has caused a lot of revolutions. But at least I can say in America, anybody can start a business. And that is what I love about America. Like Just to be well-rounded, just to be completely frank, I do think there's a lot of opportunity in this country. And that is why I love my country. Not because of the bad things like racism and things like that, but because there's opportunity here. People come from all around the world to live here. So if you're one of those people that complains as much as I do, just give it some thought. Think to yourself, what could I do? What, how, could, how much would I need to save up to really get my own thing going? And research it. Study it. Don't just jump in. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's the number one thing, especially if you're going into something that you don't have a lot of experience with. Do not put all of your eggs in one basket. Do not take any risks. Only do things that you know are going to work. You don't want to waste all your time spinning your wheels trying out a bunch of businesses that aren't going to work. So be smart. Take care of yourself. Always look for opportunities and never settle. And if you keep those things in mind... You just might make it. You you might be able to live the American dream. I'm still working my way there. Hey, I'm uh, I'm 34 years old. I'm not where I want to be, but I try to make a consistent effort day to day to get to where I want to be. And the thing is, like I gotta do that while doing this, doing this show, which is completely free. You know, sometimes people will donate five, ten bucks here and there, but. Other than that, I mean, it's it's just take, takes my time and my energy, and you know, I, I have to pay for for server costs and things like that. But I don't mind it because I absolutely love doing this. This is like my passion. This is what I want to do with myself. 
there's something in my heart that is telling me to do exactly this. And, and yeah, sometimes it does hurt when, when people, you know, they might give credit for certain things to other people that don't exactly deserve it because I put so much time and effort into the show. But now that things are a little bit better for me, I, I don't really feel upset. I, I feel pretty good about this whole thing. I, I feel kind of happy. Yeah, I feel kind of happy. It feels weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm happy when I'm not getting bombarded by electronic harassment or when there's not invisible reptilians walking on my kitchen. I mean, that stuff can kind of freak you out or bum you out. But I just keep powering through because I know that there is something good out there. I know that if there's bad aliens, there's good aliens. If there's demons, there's angels. If there's assholes, there's Salvation Army workers. There, you know, there's a plus for every minus. But what are those guys called? The uh, guardian angels? The guys that wore those? <laughs> they wear those berets and they like walk around the New York subway system looking for people getting mugged and stuff like that. I mean, that's awesome. Those those people are heroes. I don't think that's very smart. It looks very dangerous. But I've always thought the guardian angels were hilarious, even though they apparently they hoaxed some of their big stuff, like like they there was some kind of fight or mugging or something, they, they stopped and it turned out to be a big hoax. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. There's another guy, uh, we've talked about him on the show before, his name's Phoenix Jones, and he's a real-life superhero. He wears a superhero costume, he calls himself a superhero, and he goes out and he fights with, people selling crack and crazy people. And if you go on YouTube, you can look him up. I'm sure all of you know about this guy, but uh, there was one video where he, he gets in a fight with this guy. And so Phoenix Jones is an MMA fighter. He's not a, he's not a wimp. I mean, if anybody should be out there trying to beat up the bad guys, it's this guy. He's, he's an MMA fighter. And not only is he an MMA fighter, but he's good at it. He's like one of the better ones. He actually wins most of his fights. So, you know, you're, you're out there and, uh, this guy is coming at you, he's a superhero, and and you think it's a joke, and then he starts kicking your butt, and he's pulling shit off like Batman. I mean, I think that's awesome. I'm worried about the guy. He seems like a good man, and he's really putting himself in danger. But, uh, you know, he's he's always welcome on the show. I, he's a fellow Seattleite, and he's he's fighting to protect my city, and I acknowledge that. He's doing something I would never do, so he's always welcome on here. Damn straight. He probably doesn't have the time. He's probably too busy beating the shit out of some crackheads, but he's always welcome on here. Uh, let's see here. Let's, let's move along. Okay, so... Talk about that. Um, so, you know, I did talk about this a little bit on the last show, but I just want everybody to withhold judgment. Like I said, I will listen to anybody. If you are a Satanist, a Luciferian, black magician, crackhead, if you are a, you know, you can be anything short of a murderer. I won't talk to murderers, and I will not talk to pedophiles. Anything short of those two things, I'll probably have you on the show. Because I'm not into making value judgments. The point of this show is to get a certain type of information across. And it doesn't matter the source. Besides, people come from a lot of different angles. They have a lot of different lives. 
somebody could be a Satanist like Mike Hideous and be a great person. Uh, Mike Hideous is a great guy. I mean, he sent me all these CDs. He, you know, I'll exchange texts with him back and forth sometimes. I haven't talked to him lately, but, I mean, just the nicest, most down-to-earth guy. And he's a Satanist. I, I've learned not to make those judgments because I've learned that you don't want to judge a book by its cover. And that, that applies to everybody. I mean, black, white, Jew, Hispanic, Christian, atheist, no matter what background this person has, whatever labels they have attached to them, I, I don't believe in making value judgments or not, not listening to what they have because of where they're coming from. You know, even a knowing sort of Bible preachy stuff that gets on a lot of people's nerves because they had to deal with it growing up. Well, you know, like I was saying the other day, with the Bible, you got to read between the lines. Um, I, I know for a fact that there's knowledge in there, but I'm pretty sure it even says that you have to have the right ears. You have to have the right eyes to understand the true wisdom coming out of there. You can't just pick it up and attribute all these different things to this or that sentence or paragraph. It, that's why you have people using the Bible to justify killing and justify death. And not just the Bible, other religions too. It's because the people dealing with it are completely missing the point. And they're acting in a negative and controlling way, even though everything to do with the words written in these holy books and the, and the spirituality that's there is completely contradictory. I mean, religion or spirituality should not turn you into a giant, humongous dick. It shouldn't turn you into an a-hole. But the sad fact of the matter is that it does. Some people get into religion because they want power. Some people just need some kind of protection for their mind because uh, without something to believe in, things can be scary. The void is scary. The madness of the, the void, the expanse, the darkness, the shadow. If you look into it, it'll look back at you, and that's terrifying. Our own minds can be very scary, what they're capable of. They say anybody could be a serial killer, anybody could be a murderer, and I totally believe it. Given the right circumstances, maybe you have a horrible mother and you get clunked in the head at some point, get some brain damage. Next thing you know, you're picking up hookers and, and burying them in your pig farm or something awful like that, right? And that does happen. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hatred against women out there because there's a lot of frustrated dudes that aren't good with women. They can't talk to them. They, you know, they, they can't make that connection. It's not even about sex, really. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's more about just being able to make that connection, being able to make a, conver make a conversation happen, get from point A to point B, to get somebody to like you, to be able to date them. A lot of guys, they don't know how to socialize. They have very low self-esteem, probably because of this matrix that we live in. And that, you know, they might be nerdy, not very good looking, unathletic, whatever it is, it's hurting their self-esteem. It, it, you know, it's not about, not about what you have. It's just that guys that have a lot of things like that, that have the money, the looks, the fast cars, these things give them confidence and they're able to bridge that gap. But to the unsuspecting eye, you see that stuff and you think, oh, women only want money, they're materialistic, they want this, they want that. That's not the case. It's just when you're, when you have the money, it gives you confidence. I mean, I've, I've had times in my life where I was making pretty good money, and I felt like a completely different person. Like, I, I was probably an annoying, arrogant prick, <laughs> because I was probably too young to be, 
you know, be having having that much monetary gain. But um, you know, it does make a difference. I'm not saying that you can't be confident without money, but you got to build your confidence. You got to tell yourself daily that hey, I'm okay. This isn't the world that I live in. Women aren't just after money. They're not horrible. I don't want to strangle them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just that the society nowadays is very sick. And we live in a, a culture where everybody's out for themselves. And men can be very selfish and women can be very selfish. And, you know, they'll hook up with you and, and you'll have sex. And you won't even date. You'll just hook up and it'll be awkward. Never talk to each other really selfish, kind of hedonistic behavior like that seems to be the main thing nowadays. And to me, that's scary because, uh, you know, wh- what's going to happen to the family? Wh- what's going to happen to romance? I mean, what's going on? Is there no romance anymore? Do men not know how to be romantic? Do they not get it at all? Do they not even try? And, and women, they don't even try anymore. They don't like those Fabio novels anymore. They want to read Fifty Shades of Grey where it's a bunch of crazy, nasty, violent shit. (laughs) I've heard some passages from that book, and it's really strange to me that so many women think that that's the most awesome thing in the world, because I don't think it's the most awesome thing in the world. I think it's really disturbing that 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 is something that people feel like they need in their lives. I think Fifty Shades of Grey and in Fifty Shades of Grey or whatever it's called, I, I think that they are totally gross. There, I said it. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm going to get lynched for that. I'm going to get lynched for saying negative things about Fifty Shades of Grey. It, isn't it funny, though, how you feel that way when you talk about, like, anything? You're like, oh, I don't want to offend. I don't want to offend all those people out there that, like, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> uh, whatever. And what's really funny is guys that go see that movie are like, oh, yeah, I just... I just watched Fifty Shades of Grey, dude. It was awesome. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna wear a silver tie or however that goes. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? Like the dude wears a gray tie and he like, he like chokes the girl with it or something like that. Or I, I don't know. I just saw some scenes on YouTube and you know people told me about it. I didn't read it. I swear, I didn't. Okay, enough of this. Let's move on. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, so as you guys know, I am a YouTube addict. Anytime I'm in transit, anytime that I'm bored, all well not anytime, but a lot of times I'll jump on YouTube and I'll look for videos about the occult or reptilians or flat earth or you know what I mean. I like that stuff. I like to I like to watch things that I feel are expanding my mind. Or maybe they're making me dumber, but I'd like to think that I'm learning things. But I did come across these videos, and a lot of you are going to know what I'm talking about, but they're called Brave Wilderness. And there's this dude, his name's Coyote, and he's letting all of these animals and bugs bite him, sting him, just completely fuck him up. Like, he, he lets this thing called a fire ant sting him, and it's supposed to be one of the most the most painful things in the entire world. Like, it just burns something awful. And he's going on YouTube, and he's... he's I, mean, I mean, it's kind of clickbait. It's clickbait. He's trying to get views. 
But in my opinion, he's really earning them because he's letting these animals just completely ravage him. There's one where this huge crab has its pinchers around his wrist and he's like bleeding. And then he's, they're taking this picture and he's like standing there screaming, just letting this crab pinch his wrist. <laughs> There's blood everywhere. Oh my god. And then there's another one where he's, he's he's just picking up this nasty giant sea slug thing and he's just picking it up and hugging it like it's a kitten and playing with it. Like, I'd never touch anything like that. And probably the grossest one, don't puke, but he he actually gets cut or bit by something and then he gets a little leech inside of the cut. It's just so gross. But I, I highly recommend this guy's videos. His name's Coyote. And I believe his channel or show or whatever he's on is called Brave Wilderness. And I really love stuff like that because, you know, while it might be kind of clickbait and sensationalist, I love anything with animals and anything with nature. And I think if you can educate people while you're doing strange things like letting animals attack you, I think that's definitely a positive. Hopefully he doesn't end up like Steve Irwin, you know, the guy that got a crocodile hunter. We all loved him. His videos were so funny and so cool. And then one day, you know, he something weird happened, and one of the animals actually killed him. He got stung by a, what do they call them, stingrays? Yeah, the things actually do have stingers on them, and they can completely harpoon you and stab you through the heart. So you, there's animals you don't want to mess with. You don't want to mess with anything with a stinger, anything with horns, anything like that, with teeth. Don't mess with dogs that are too vicious. You just don't do that. I mean, uh, most animals, if you approach them, you do really good by not showing fear and by not acting threatening either. So you got to kind of walk that middle ground. Sometimes it helps if you flip your wrists around and kind of show them your wrists, like you're not you're not uh, you're not threatening to them. Dogs will see that as sort of like a a submissive, friendly behavior, so they'll be like, oh, okay, this guy's not a threat. So there's certain ways you can deal with animals where they won't you know, bite your nut sack off or anything like that. I love dogs. I love cats. I love animals. I love dolphins. There's even some monkeys that I don't hate. So I've, I've always watched animal documentaries and things like that when I was growing up. I love wolves. I even like wiener dogs. What else do we got here? Uh, okay, this is a, another question from a reader. Actually, let's do a news story. Okay, so this first news story, this comes from thesun.co.uk. I believe we've borrowed some news stories from this website before. They're always in the UK. I say that every time, but... People in England must really be into paranormal. So, uh, it says, Roswell UFO conspiracy CIA agent, he confesses about aliens in Area 51. He says that there's a crash and a cover-up, and they're taking the bodies into hangars, and there's actually an alien. He says that most of them died, and he said that the one great alien that lived looked like a person from the East. Uh, I'm guessing he means Asian. So he's saying that a great alien looks like an Asian person? Really? Hello, that's racist. Racist. 
you're saying Asians look like gray aliens. How is that not racist? And that's what he's saying on his and his deathbed confession. Like he's being racist. Like how am I supposed to believe this? In Area 51, I mean, I don't doubt that there's stuff going on in Area 51, but the whole world knows about it. There's been movies and documentaries about it. I mean, are you really telling me that at some point they had a live alien there? Why didn't uh? What's his face? Sorry, I can't think of his name. The Area 51 guy. Yeah, even I forget things sometimes. It'll come to me, don't worry. Um, he never said anything about live aliens. He talked about their technology and stuff like that, but he never talked about live aliens. So I, I guess I'll dismiss this one as disinfo, because obviously this guy probably has credentials, but he's saying some strange things. So I'm going to put that in the disinfo pile, because I'm teaching you guys how to discern. <laughs> teaching you about disinformation, which is a major part of this here UFO world. In fact, I'd go as far as to say that it might be one of the main parts of this UFO world. Disinformation, psyops, Pro, deception, lies, misdirection, infighting, divide and conquer. All right, enough of that. Let's, let's move on to that letter from a listener. So this is from Akon. I don't know if that's the rapper Akon or what, but he says, Hi, Daniel. You are always talking about the New World Order. I am a true member of the Illuminati and have been since birth. You should be talking to me, not these idiots who are not true blue bloods like me. Uh, okay. First of all, if you want to come on the show, just send me an email. Let me know who you are, what you're about, why you want to come on the show, and I'll talk to you. I mean, this isn't a big deal. There's plenty of people that have come on the show and done interviews that aren't super famous or don't write books or anything like that, that aren't going to turn into massive clickbait or anything like that. It's not a big deal. I want to hear from everybody. This show is designed to educate. But as far as calling people idiots or talking about how you're a true blue blood or you were born into Illuminati. I mean, how, how could I even know if that's true? And if you're going to start off so pushy and negative towards others and, you know, kind of show a bad attitude, why am I going to email you back and why am I going to invite you? I, I'm not saying that I don't want to talk to you, Akon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it would be very interesting to talk to you, maybe, maybe if only for entertainment's sake. But... You know, keep in mind that, what am I trying to say here? Keep in mind that ethics and politeness go a long way with me. Not because I'm I'm some kind of polite police, like little Michelle or anything like that. You know, Michelle Fullhouse. <laughs> I'm not the polite police or anything like that. I just believe in treating people with respect, and I want this show to have a good reputation. I don't want people to be sitting in dark rooms somewhere saying, Daniel's a jerk, he ambushes people, he's mean, he's this or he's that. Because if that happens, let me tell you, news travels fast. And I don't care who you are, your reputation matters. Deny it all you want, but it matters. I don't care who you are, what you do. I, I don't care what people think. But I don't completely not care what people think. I mean, that would be a little sociopathic, wouldn't it? So I do believe in 
try to maintain a good reputation. That means treating the guests with respect, no matter how weird they are. If they're if they believe that they're an alien hybrid, or, or they believe that they have psychic abilities, or they're from the future, or whatever, I I believe that everybody, you know, as long as they're being cordial and respectful towards me, I'll be cordial and respectful towards them. We live in a culture now where it's like, you know, it, every, people are rewarded for being jerks. Like uh, we constantly see it on social media, people just saying whatever comes into their twisted little brains, not worrying about the consequences, just trying to get attention and just being mean and nasty because they think that their opinion is important or they want to put somebody down or you know they want their voice to be heard, which is fine. Uh, criticism is a good thing. It's just that meanness, nastiness, bullying and stuff like that. I mean, how many of these stories do we have to hear of these 14, 15-year-old girls that are getting bullied at school and they're hanging themselves or slitting their wrists or taking a bunch of pills and doing things like that? Uh, that makes me cry when I hear that. When I hear stories like that, that somebody could get so depressed, so bullied, so hurt in that small period of time, in the moment, that they would actually go home and end their entire life and just throw it out the window, throw it in the trash, just because some dumbass, immature, asshole kids that are just nasty little monsters and the problem is that their parents set a bad example. Their parents are a bunch of mouthy shit talkers who talk shit about the neighbors, who talk shit about their coworkers that look down on people, and they encourage their kids to be mean. They don't teach them about righteousness. They don't teach them about respect. They don't teach them the basic things. It's not about discipline. It's about setting the right example. It's about being that person so your kids can observe you and become that person themselves so they have a positive role model to look up to. That's how you do it. And that's part of the problem is there are so few positive role models and people look at the wrong things. They look at the gangsters. They look at the, the shallow materialistic celebrities, the, the Katy Perrys, the Lindsay Lohans. Where's she been, by the way? Where's Lilo been? I kind of miss Lilo. She was entertaining. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the shallow celebrities, the mind-control clones. Well, let's move on from this topic. What, what else do we have here? Um, okay, so one big question is when exactly do you become grown-up? What makes you a grown-up? In society, we have a lot of age limits, like, you can't drink until you're 21, or you can't vote until you're 18. You can't join the military and military until you're 18. You can join the military when you're 18, but you can't drink until you're 21. What's that? So an 18-year-old, they can die, but they can't drink alcohol. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why are 18-year-olds even loud in the military? Don't we want actual fighting men in the military, not kids? Is it because they can be more easily coerced, more easily controlled, more easily programmed? Is it because their bodies are younger and much more fit than us old fellas? What is it? You don't see a lot of old people going to the military. I mean, if you ask me, I mean, even though guys in their 30s might not be as physically fit as guys in their 20s, 
they're going to have a lot more to offer. They're going to get along with their fellow soldiers much more. They're going to have way more skills and experiences that can be applied in the battlefield. Yet it's always kids that they send to go and die. And if I had children, you better believe I would not give a shit about protecting them from a draft or anything like that. Because I don't care about some rich elitist BS wars fought in some other country, some proxy war that has nothing to do with protecting our country or our freedoms or anything like that. Just some bullshit war about reconstruction efforts and oil and political CIA manipulations, leveraging this leader against that leader, these people against those people. I absolutely would not give a shit about protecting my kids from something like that. You better believe it. I don't feel one bit bad about that. Why would I? Why would I? Because every war is really all about freedom? Yeah, not today. Not this cookie. Hey, I mean, I'm not I'm not against anybody that fights for this country. Hell no. I'm very thankful for anybody in the military. Anybody that actually does what I don't want to do, that goes out there, picks up a gun, and does dangerous things. I, I have all the respect in the world for that. But as far as people that I care about going and fighting in some war that's we don't even know what it's about, how many wars have been like that? We don't even know what the fighting is about. That's disturbing. Each and every person should know what the war is all about. It's scary, and it's scary because it's still going on today. And you always hear about, oh, we're a superpower. The United States, we're a superpower. We've got all the military might. We've got this and that. How do we even know that that's true? Maybe that's just what we want our enemies to think. We didn't do very good in Vietnam. I hate to break it to you, but despite the crazy amount of technological advantage that we had in that war, we did lose. I know that we won every battle, I know that it was an impossible situation, but we did lose. We did not accomplish our goal. In fact, the whole thing turned out to be a giant waste of resources, of lives, and is one of the major blemishes in the history of the United States because a bunch of dumbasses who didn't know what they were doing decided that they wanted to go and get involved with this weird situation that the French started. Like, it's so bad, I, I have trouble even explaining what the hell is going on. Maybe, maybe that's my fault for not knowing my history better, but in my opinion, everybody should know this stuff. We shouldn't, we shouldn't shove the Vietnam War under the rug because we lost and it affects our pride. No, forget pride. I'll have pride when I go back and, and I'll analyze what exactly happened so we can make sure it never happens again. Forget sweeping it under the rug. Nothing like that should ever happen. But the thing is, these bastards are so manipulative that they they can make it happen. Uh, just read Michael Aquino's book, Mind War, and you will understand exactly what I'm talking about. It's some very, very disturbing stuff. I mean, uh, Michael Aquino, he's a he's a friend of the show. He's he's come on here multiple times, but my God, that book is disturbing. When you actually hear about how these things are justified and you realize that the people at the top actually believe that it's okay to do these things, you are going to, it's going to change your perspective quite a bit. And like I said, no disrespect, 
towards Mr. Aquino. He's probably listening right now. <laughs> but but uh, just read that book, and you'll know what I'm talking about. Even just read parts of it. You'll catch on really quick. Was, wasn't I talking about age limits? What happened? God, why do I do that? I start talking about the military and the Vietnam War and end up talking about Michael Aquino? What the hell? But as far as age limits go, that's a hard thing to measure. Like this guy that I ran into at the Goodwill today, just complete douchebag. It's, it's almost like in his mind he thinks he has a right to just push people out of the way so he can do what he wants to do. Like other people don't matter to him. It's all about me. I can just tell he's one of these downtrodden, low self-esteem, entitled millennials. He looked about that age. He just thinks it's all about me. Get out of my way. These CDs are for me. No, it's not all about you. You, you. you darn punk. They always think that. They always think it's all about them. Even I thought that at one point. It's, it's all about me. But it's not. It's not about you. You're not the center of the whole freaking universe. Nobody is. You're the center of your own universe. I mean, as far as you're concerned, it, I can see why you would feel like it doesn't really matter how other people feel, but it will. Because if you go around acting like a douchebag, eventually it's going to catch up to you, or you're going to have one of those moments where you look in the mirror or think to yourself and you think, wow, I'm a giant douchebag. And it's going to really hurt because you're not going to be able to go back on that feeling. Because once you know you're a douchebag, you will always know you're a douchebag until you stop being a freaking douchebag. And age limits don't matter. I mean, they're just markers. You don't know if somebody's mature because they're 18. You don't know if somebody's mature because they're 40. There's people out there in their 40s and their 50s and they act like freaking animals. They get into pointless confrontations. They do stupid things. They hurt people. They kill people over dumb reasons. Just pain and suffering for no reason other than in that moment you decided to be a piece of trash. So I think age limits are, for the most part, they're BS. Why do we have to go through a system where we go to kindergarten and first grade and eventually graduate and we all just go out the assembly line, just like everybody else. I don't want to live in that world. I want to live in a world that I create. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it. Not when somebody tells me to. Not when society says that I should. I want to do what I want, when I want. Just so long as I'm not interfering with anybody else's free will. Right? That would be the world that I want to live in. And maybe we can create a place like that. I don't know what we need. Do we need technology? Do we need to do what Thomas Hatz has said and just stop being assholes on an individual level? That makes a lot of sense to me. I could probably benefit from not being such an a-hole sometimes, drinking all this orange Mountain Dew and getting all feisty, start starting fights at the Goodwill. I'm going to get 86 from the Goodwill. I'm a, I'm a motherfucking Goodwill badass. Yeah, look at me and my used records and CDs. I'm a freaking badass in these dirty old used jeans and this old lady coat. You, you heard that? You guys have heard that uh, that that rap song, Thrift Store. What's that guy's name? That local rapper. Oh man, this sucks. I hate when I'm on air and I get stumped like that. What's his name? He wears that fur coat. Ah, forget it. It'll come to me later. Somebody should call in and tell me right now. <laughs> um. 
Macklemore. Oh, I'm so glad I remembered Macklemore. That music video for that song, Thrift Store, that cracks me up. Especially because he's from Seattle. I mean, I always got to give props to the local heroes like Phoenix Jones, Macklemore, Kurt Cobain, rest in peace. And some of y'all should come up here and visit me. Like, what's your problem? You should be coming up here and we should be going camping together. We should go Bigfoot hunting. We'll we'll go and we'll buy 12-gauge shotguns and we'll buy slugs. So in case we do run into Bigfoot, we can pump some slugs into him. Do you know what a slug is? A slug is like a shotgun shell, but it does not have pellets inside. It's solid. It just has solid freaking metal inside. No, actually, I'm sorry. It's kind of like more like a musket ball because it has it's like a bullet where it has the hard metal ball at the end, but it's thick and round. So it's like hitting somebody with a cannon. If you shoot somebody with shotgun shot, like some buckshot, uh, you very well might blow their legs off. If you're far away, you'll hit them with some pellets. If you hit them in the leg or hit them in the butt or the back, they, they might still be able to get up and run away. If you hit them twice, they're almost guaranteed to be put down, maybe even once. But if you really want some stopping power, if you want to stop a bear, if you want to stop Sasquatch, if you want to stop a reptilian, then you're going to need slugs. That's why I pack slugs, because these are the types of creatures that I'm dealing with. I need to protect myself, and I've got the right stuff to do it. So if Sasquatch wants to mess with Daniel, well, he's going to get a hole blown in his perverted torso if he tries to rape me or do something like that. So if you guys want to come up here and you want to go camping with a crazy bastard like me who has a loaded shotgun and a bunch of psychedelic mushrooms, (laughs) then we could have a great time. I'm just kidding. We won't do that. We'll just go camping in the woods and we'll talk about paranormal. How does that sound? We'll look longingly into each other's eyes and talk about shadow people and reptilians. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, enough of that. Uh, This is a question from... This is a recent question from Kim. She says, Dear Daniel, do you masturbate? Okay, Kim, uh, you are female. I can't help but find it to be very strange that you are asking me a question like this. I don't know if this is your thing or what, or if you like to ask guys questions like that or what. But the answer to that is yes and no. I'm, I'm going to admit I have done it before. I mean, who hasn't? But... I I try not to because I feel like it's a waste of energy. Like, I'll level with you guys. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds a little schizo, but I believe this to be true. If you do that thing too often, you are going to be dead tired. I guarantee it. Try to deny it. Try to deny it. Go go ahead and and, and pull on yourself or, or, or stick things up yourself if you're a female and do it a bunch of times in a row and see if you don't get tired. Yeah, exactly. You know I'm right. You know deep down that it's true. It's wasting your kundalini or your chi or your your body's energy, energy that you can apply towards other things. Plus, when you give up all of your sexual energy like that, you got to remember because 
your sexual energy, your kundalini, it works as a magnet. So when your energy is full, you're going to magnetically attract a mate. That's how it works. I know science won't agree with me, but it's the truth. So if you're wasting all that energy, you're going to have a lot harder of a time attracting a mate because you're not going to be giving off that magnetic energy that will pull somebody towards you. You'll just kind of repel people because you'll be in a low energy state. I know that sounds totally crazy, but Kim, you asked me the question. You asked me, and I had to answer you. That's what I believe. So I'm going to be honest. I believe in being honest on the radio. I don't care what anybody thinks. Unless I'm on trial for something, then I, I definitely care what the judge thinks. But other than that, I, I don't care. It's the truth, and I'm here to spread the truth as I see it. I'm not going to be right about everything. Heck, I'll probably be lucky if I get 10% right. But I'm sure as heck going to put myself out there. I'm sure as heck going to be me. And I'm going to say what I want to say with no remorse, with no guilt, because I believe in no regrets. You guys seen that movie, Meet the Millers, the no regrets guy? If you haven't seen it, go watch that movie, because that is a funny shit. Plus, Jennifer Aniston does a strip tease in that movie. And if you're... If you're somebody that doesn't masturbate, when you watch that, you will. Oh, yes, you will, because that's freaking Jennifer Aniston. You know, the good-looking one from Friends, not the other one, the good-looking one. Okay, so we are running out of time. I do apologize. I know that you guys would prefer if I went on air for, like, eight hours at a time. And I do thank you. I do thank you folks that are sticking with me, that, that actually listen to the show and enjoy it. You guys are awesome. This, this show is for you. I mean, it's for me. I love doing it, but it's also for you. So keep that feedback coming. If it's positive, if it's negative, I want to know, even if I don't agree with it. Even if I need to address it, I still want to know. I want to know what you think. Each and every one of you shiny, bright, little angels, you, you, you cute little guys and gals, this show's got a lot of female fans. That's why I, you know, I have trepidations about saying negative things about feminism or, or Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm afraid of afraid of losing all those female fans. For some reason, this show has a lot of female fans. It might even have more female fans than male fans. That's how crazy it is. So, so you know, I, I want to be kind of careful that I don't piss off all the women because I'm bashing Fifty Shades. Uh. I do have one more news story. Is there time? Yeah, it looks like we got a little bit of time left. Okay. So, oh yeah, this show's on again, you know. We're on again Saturday. The normal time, or the normal time that it used to be on. We are on, and there is a guest. So this ain't over, Johnny. This is just getting started. This is just the beginning. And there's, like, tons of more shows this month. And there's, I'm going to add even more. I'm going to try to do a show, like, every friggin' day. You're not even going to have time to listen to all of this. I don't even care. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to freaking do it. Okay. Again, from the sun.co.uk, that, that awesome British publication that talks about all these weird stories. Do they just have a monkey in a room somewhere making all this crap up? Is that what this is? Okay. So it says that 
NASA admits its lunar reconnaissance orbiter collided with a UFO, but insists aliens were not to blame. Did you get that? Did you get that all? NASA admits its lunar reconnaissance orbiter collided with a UFO, but insists aliens were not to blame. Okay, what do I got to say to that? First of all, I want to see some proof that space is even real. I've been watching a bunch of these flat earth videos. Unfortunately, many of them are, are created by Christians, and I can't help but think that they might be just a little bit biased. However, I cannot deny the arguments that they are putting forth, that there is no proof that this earth is actually round. And I have great, a great deal of confusion about this matter. In fact, I have half a mind to go on my own exploration to Antarctica and see if there is even an Antarctica or if it's just a big ice wall. I've got to see for myself. I might just set sail. I might just make a little boat out of reeds or willow bark. I might, I may, might make a boat out of willow bark and just sail around and, and see for myself. I'll be like a modern-day Christopher Colombo, Christopher Dan Lumbo. Danifer Colombo. Danifer? Holy crap, that sounds awful. But uh, all i got to say is I will happily have anybody from NASA on this program. If you work for NASA and you are not an ASA, if you work for NASA and you're not an ASA, then you can come on this show. And I will talk to you and you can convince me that space is real. And if you can do that then I will give you $20. <laughs> you, you think you can get this this amazing reward that I'm offering? Isn't that the ultimate proof? Why doesn't somebody come claim this 20 bucks? It's because space is fake. Don't you love how they do that? Like they'll offer some kind of award. Oh, I'll give anybody $5,000 if they can prove that I'm wrong. And then when you call them out on it, they're like, uh, no, no, that... It has to be this exact way or that exact way. Uh, sorry, the, the money does not actually exist, and it never did. <laughs> like that, what was the guy's name? James Randi or something like that. He had that million-dollar channel challenge or $100,000 challenge. If you can prove the paranormal, he'd give you all this money. But then when people actually would try to do it, he would have all these different stipulations, and this or that. And if somebody did prove something, they'd dismiss it and want you to do it like 100 times in a row. That doesn't prove anything. I hate to break it to you people, but that doesn't prove anything. And you should not let stupid crap like that affect the way that you see your reality. Because if you're going to let people pull the wool over your eyes, then you are going to be a sheep. Because sheeps wear wool, don't they? Yeah, that's right. You don't see them walking around in cotton or polyester. They wear wool because people pull the wool over their eyes. 